This coverage is live and uncensored. So if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, guys? My Take Radio, episode 202 for Thursday, October 17th, 2013. Our call in number is 347 324 3541. Again, that call in number is 347 324 3541. You can also hit up our feedback line that's 347 815 0687, 347 815 MTR. All right, so we got a lot to discuss this week. Uh, last week, of course, we had a ton of different issues going on. We had uh, no video, no block talk radio, numerous problems. But this week, we seem to have figured out all the bugs. Uh, the big problem was Skype had an update last week, which, you know, if you don't stay on top of that shit, it just really messes you up. But Skype is updated. Everything seems to be running smoothly. So hopefully uh, 202 will not give us any problems this week. All right, couple of things before we get into this week's housekeeping. Uh, the show schedule for the next couple of weeks, you guys can update your calendars or whatever you guys do because everybody gives me shit about not having a show schedule. So we got a live show this week. Next week is the Photo Plus Expo here in New York City. We're going to be meeting with a couple of different manufacturers and a couple of different companies to check out new stuff for audio and video. So there may not be a show next week because the convention begins Thursday through Sunday. If there is a show, it may be Wednesday. And if that's the case, obviously, I will let you guys know via social media. But as of right now, it is a 50-50 for a show next Thursday. Uh, the first week of November, there will be a show. The second week of November, there may or may not be a show. Um, I'm obviously getting married the following week, and I am leaving New York City that Friday. So, uh you know, Thursday is going to be a little bit rough, but if I do decide to do a show, I will let you guys know as well. But as of right now, the Thursday show for what the hell day is that? That would be for November 7th is probably a 50-50, but I can tell you guaranteed there will be no show on November 14th. I will be out of town, so there will be no show November 14th after that. There'll be a show the following week, and there'll probably be a show the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So that's pretty much how the schedule, um, you know, that's how the schedule is looking for the next couple of weeks. Things are going to be a little touch and go, but of course, I will keep you guys updated as usual. Also, for those of you new to the show, I, I was kind of uh, giving some shit about this from a couple of different people just because people tune into my take radio and have no idea what we talk about. Uh, my Take Radio offers uh, mixed martial arts, 
professional wrestling, video games, and entertainment, unfiltered, uncensored, sometimes with uh, a lot of curse words, sometimes with not too many. But um, either way, that is what we are all about. I guess I should be opening the show with that a lot more often, but I always kind of feel that you guys know what we do. But either way, that's what we do. All right, so... The rest of the housekeeping, of course, first and foremost, I got to get out of the way, our Pacific Rim contest winner, which uh, we're giving away a Blu-ray copy of Pacific Rim, and as a man of my word, I am announcing the winner, which is Milton Harper. Milton Harper is our winner of the Pacific Rim Blu-ray contest, so uh, Milton, if you're listening to the live show, make sure to message me your address uh, between now and Sunday so that we can forward it to the company to forward you the Blu-ray. Congratulations to Milton on this week's contest. We will be giving away a couple of other things over the next couple of days, and uh, be on the lookout for that. I actually have a Steam code for a brand new game that just came out, and I'll be giving that away. I was going to give it away on air, but I don't have the email with me, so I will be giving it away either on the fan page or on Twitter. We'll see how that goes. We're also going to be doing a giveaway with Bello Digital in the coming weeks, and once that's figured out, we will um, give you guys the details with regards to that. I did a couple of guest spots over the last couple of weeks. I figured I'd share it with you guys if you want to check it out. I was on the IAIB Spotlight last Friday uh, with Andrew Zarian. He was kind enough to have me in studio to talk about all things podcasting, uh, how the show, it, you know, how the show pretty much comes together, how we get on air. Uh, what the process is, uh, greetings 343, I don't know who you are, make sure to change your nickname in the chat if you're using that chat, for those of you in the Mixler chat, real quick, make sure to go to the chat room on mtrlive.com, that way I won't have to split my time between uh, different chat sessions. Oh, shout out to DJ Decade who is joining us, um, I've actually shared some of his stuff before and talked about him on air uh, he actually worked on SFX 360. Now he has a very promising music career. Uh, make sure to share your link in the chat so people can check out your tracks, man. 100% endorsed. So make sure to check that out. I don't even know why I put my hand up like he's seeing me through the camera, but you never know. Either way, make sure to um, check out his link. He'll post it in the chat room for some of his tracks. Also, visited our friends at Punching the Walls of Reality uh, last week as well had a blast with those guys talking about a couple of different things with their new spotlight show that they're going to be doing i posted the link for that in the chat you guys can check that out as well so those were the two guest spots for this week all right so let's get into the rundown of tonight's topics we got to talk a little bit about bellator the ultimate fighter we're going to talk about monday night raw we got some mpd numbers that dropped which of course the number one game should be no surprise once we get into that, and of course, your movie and TV news as well in our entertainment section. So, let's get the ball rolling and talk some MMA, shall we? This week's all, this past week's Ultimate Fighter was surprisingly good. I think that the the changing of the guard is really happening at a very fast pace. And when I say the changing of the guard, I'm talking about the evolution of Ronda Rousey and Misha Tate. A lot of people tuning into the show initially felt that uh, Misha Tate was pretty much a snotty, pretty-faced 
broad who knew nothing and pretty much was destined to get her arm broken by Ronda Rousey. Um, a lot of people's opinions have changed over the course of the season, primarily because uh, Ronda Rousey's being portrayed, I don't know, very bitchy in a, in a lot of the in a lot of the different video features that we're seeing for the show. And I don't think that's bad. I mean, I think it's a it's just poor editing, but it really is making Ronda Rousey not look as much as a fan favorite as she did coming into the show. I know a lot of people are um, coming in to the season talking about Misha Tate and how she's a better coach. She's connecting better with her fighters. I think that the difference between both pers- both women is the fact that um, Misha Tate came in as an alternate for Alpha Cat Zingano, and as such, she... She didn't, I don't want to say she had a lot more pressure into it. I think she went in knowing that she had to have a good showing on the show because it was pretty much a guaranteed title fight for her. And as such, she's pretty laid back going in, very mellow, which which I don't mind. I think on the contrary, it, it's something that really helps people connect with her better. In Ronda's case, given her ultra competitive nature, I feel that she, I don't know, in Ronda's case, she's very... I don't even want to say she's bitchy. She just comes off hyper aggressive, which I guess works in some circles. But uh, a couple of people that got into this season that have been watching it for the first time really feel that Ronda is uh, she's a poor sport. She's incredibly rude, unprofessional, etc., which is crazy. But some people that that's really how they are feeling about her portrayal this season. Me personally, I've been following Ronda Rousey's career for quite some time, and I'll be honest when I tell you that she, you know, she's she's a she's a crazy character that knows how to market herself well. She knows how to utilize the gift of the gab to really push her brand forward. I mean, Misha Tate has gone on record saying that Ronda Rousey's using MMA as a stepping stone to move into acting or into some other endeavor. I don't know how true that is, but I will definitely say that the editing of the ultimate fighter is not doing ronda rousey any favors anyway this week michael wooten and josh hill faced off in what was a pretty decent fight i had a lot of people telling me that the fight wasn't as exciting as they would have liked i know a couple of people that have said that the women are going out there delivering amazing fights every week and the guys are kind of phoning it in i i I kind of feel that way a little bit but i think in in this case it's a um it's more so a situation that you have the guys have pretty much know how to play the game. And then the ladies they're coming in just really trying to impress. And in this case, I think um, Michael Wooten fought a very, very safe fight. Um, You know, it was, I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't as awesome as I would have liked, but uh, next week uh, Dana White ship pops in and goes through a couple of things with the coaches. And we also get two first round fights uh the last two first round fights sorry so it's going to be very interesting to see how that unfolds uh peggy morgan is going to be facing sarah morris next week and cody bollinger will be facing anthony gutierrez those will be the last two first round fights as for the season itself it's definitely moving along it's a lot better than i expected like i said the ronda rousey editing has not really done her many favors on the contrary like i said it's it's kind of portraying her in a very negative light anyway Let's get into the other MMA news for this week because there is 
a lot going on. We got a couple of fights this week, of course. We got the big one, Junior Dos Santos, Cain Velasquez 3, which is going down this weekend, along with a host of other awesome fights. But the the Kane and JDS fight is going to be ridiculous, that's for sure. So I wanted to open up with the regular news talking about Bellator because we all know Ben Askren is the champion in Bellator, 175-pound welterweight champion. Uh, excuse me, 170, not 175. And he is actually up for a contract renewal. And the crazy thing with Bellator is that Bellator will allow the fighters' contracts to lapse, and then they will await the fighters to get offers and then match them. And depending on what they... They'll either match the offer and the guy takes it, or he'll go with another you know, with another promotion. So in Bellator's case, Ben Askren is probably one of the greatest pound for pound welterweight fighters. A lot of people consider him to be very boring and a wet blanket, but there's no doubt that the guy is incredibly talented. So pretty much the way it's shaping up is that Bjorn Rebney did an interview with ESPN and um, they're saying that Bjorn would let Ben Askren go to the UFC if he got a guaranteed title shot against George St. Pierre. Now, here's here's the thing that freaks me out with that. You have you have the your 170-pound champion. This guy is is a beast. Uh Ben Askren has had six straight decision victories. His past two wins were TKOs and pretty much almost everybody feels that he'll be the guy that will dethrone GSP. It's it's up for debate. I, I really can't say that that's the case. I think it will be a very competitive fight, and I think that the striking is going to be a bigger factor than the wrestling. But for you to take your 170-pound guy and pretty much farm him out and say, yeah, you know, Ben Askren, he can leave as long as the other organization gives him a title fight. I feel that that's, like, not only very freaky, but it's just really fucking weird. Think about it. You have your your, your one of your most athletic and most recognizable fighters probably on par with GSP in terms of popularity only because of how much of a great fighter he is and the reasoning behind it that you're willing to let him go is because you want him to get an immediate title shot that's that's just insanity at its best here's what I would do if I were Bjorn Rebney, I would keep Ben Askren and really try to build him as one of the faces of your organization. The guy is an NCAA Division I wrestling champion. He has an incredible pedigree, and sure, a lot of people feel that his fights are, without a doubt, boring or, you know, very safe, whatever the case may be, but there's no doubt that the guy's six straight de- decision victories and his incredible NCAA pedigree allow you to really market this guy effectively and for you to pretty much gift wrap him and go here Dana White take him and and you know do what you want with him it just I just feel it's so fucking weird and the funny thing is Dana White he, he feels the same way he said um with regards to it he said they're playing games I don't care what they're doing it doesn't matter to me I don't give a shit what they're doing they don't matter and I don't care basically the way Dana White says it is exactly what I said he said When you're willing to let your fucking champion go, it's weird. And let's be honest, it does strike me odd that you're willing to dangle your 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 welterweight champion out there for for, for easy pickings instead of keeping the guy and paying him what he's worth. I I just feel it's a it's a crazy situation. And in Bellator's case, this is that what they're doing is they're really 
putting themselves in a position where people just don't enjoy what they you know they don't enjoy how how they're marketing their fighters think of uh, Eddie Alvarez the Eddie Alvarez situation was probably one of the craziest situations because Eddie Alvarez wanted out Bellator matched and it just it just unfolded into a load of shit obviously Alvarez is staying and he'll be fighting at the Bellator 106 pay-per-view which is which is uh, what we're going to go into next and that's going down November 2nd on that card Rampage and Tito Michael Chandler and Eddie Alvarez for the 155-pound lightweight title. Pat Curran and Daniel Strauss for the featherweight title. And King Mola Wolf um, will be fighting Emmanuel Newton for the interim light heavyweight title. The prelims will be on Spike TV, and that's going to have Mike Bronzulis taking on Joe Riggs. That's the Fightmaster tournament final. And also um, Patrick Sinoble will be taking on Terry Etim. Also added to that card will be Czech Congo taking on Vinicius Caros. And also on the on the uh, televised side, Carl Parisian will be meeting Cristiano Souza. Now, I don't think that that's going to be an opening fight for the pay-per-view. That's probably going to be a prelim on Spike TV. But the thing that's been bugging me about this pay-per-view is that they're not faring very well with regards to ticket sales. According to what Dave Meltzer said, he's saying that they have sold 1,700 tickets. Thus far, we obviously we don't know what the pay-per-view numbers are, but 1,700 tickets for a, for an event that's going to be taking place in, in, in a pretty decent size arena, the Long Beach Arena, it's, it's, not, it's not faring well for the guys at Bellator. And I'm, and I'm bummed only because I think Tito and Rampage are going to give us a very good fight. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, Eddie Alvarez and Chandler are going to give us a solid fight as well. And it's unfortunate that they've only sold 1,700 tickets. I really hope that they get into full-on promotion mode and try and get people at this event because I think that if they bomb on this event, their their pay-per-view aspirations are pretty much in the fucking toilet. Switching gears on the UFC side of things, Daniel Cormier, of course, will be facing uh, the one and only bearded warrior himself, Roy Nelson, this weekend. And Daniel Cormier has said... Regardless of the outcome, he will be dropping down to light heavyweight after his fight against Roy Nelson. Now, this is the thing that bugs me with regards to that. I am, I'm all for Daniel Cormier dropping down to 205. I just feel that he's done an awful lot of talking about it, and he hasn't really done it. I think once he's officially at 205, then I'll really start giving a shit. No disrespect to DC, but think about it. I'm going to 205. I'm going to 205. I'm going to fight John Jones. I'm going to 205. Here you are taking another heavyweight fight because, you know, he, he doesn't want to fight Cain Velasquez. And the reasoning behind it is that he said, um, you know, I want to be champion in the UFC and I know I'm not going to fight for a belt at heavyweight because I don't want to fight Cain. I have to find a division where I can compete for a championship. And that bugs me because I've always said the same thing. Training partners friends, teammates, oh, we're not going to fight each other. MMA is not a team sport. Sure, a team can help you get ready. A team can help you do training camp. But let's be real, it's a, it's a solo sport. When that cage door closes, it's you and your opponent, and that's it. This is not a team sport. And frankly, if you feel that you're that good at heavyweight, then fight, fight your teammate. Let's see who the best heavyweight is. Instead, you continue to grandstand and then you oh I'm going to go to 205 I'm going to go to 205 we're going to see what happens when he goes down to 205 and if he's going to get himself a title opportunity because think about it 
you have Gustafson in the title picture. You have Glover Teixeira fighting um, John Jones next. Where, who's he going to fight at you know at two oh five? That's going to get him into that contention. It, are we going to get a you know are we going to get a fight with Gustafson next? And the winner of Gustafson DC fights the winner of Teixeira and um, John Jones. I think that would be probably the best course of action to go with, but. Who knows? I I just need to see him go down physically to 205, and then we can talk. Last bit of MMA news to close things out. Yushin Okami finally has himself a brand new home since being released by the UFC. He is heading to World Series of Fighting. He will probably be debuting in early 2014. Yushin Okami fought 18 times while in the UFC and has a record of 13-5 and after his release. So... Best of luck to Yushin in World Series of Fighting. And uh, that's going to wrap up the MMA news for this week. So uh, let's get into this week's wrestling news because we have quite a bit to talk about. The World Wrestling Federation. For over 50 years, the revolutionary force in sports entertainment. So, let's get into Monday Night Raw, which was actually a very, very solid week of Raw. I was I was thoroughly impressed for a couple of reasons. Not only was there good storytelling and angle advancement, but that main event match was... Uh, it, was it was ridiculous. It was, without a doubt... Probably one of the better main events in the last couple of months that I've seen. And I'm only saying that because the Shield consistently go out there and deliver incredible matches. But to see Ro- the, you know, the Rhodes brothers go out there, the Rhodes dynasty, and just mix it up in such epic fashion was just... It has to be seen to be believed. So let me get into some of the other Raw matches before we discuss the main event. Um, Randy Orton and The Miz was you know academic as, as can be, especially because... You know, when Raw opened up with HBK, you know he was going to come out, do the hard sell for the pay-per-view, and it was a no-brainer that Randall would saunter out there, especially because it's in St. Louis, but seeing The Miz actually attack Randy Orton was, um, it worked. I, I really liked, you know, I really liked where they went with that. I think that The Miz doing the sneak attack was was the way to go. I really enjoyed it. Now, as for Randy Orton, I was, I was looking, you know... I don't know if you guys have noticed this too, but um, you got to look at look at Randy Orton the last couple of months. I have a nagging suspicion that Randy Orton is back on the sauce. I don't know. He seems to have this big-ass jaw. It's like this big. And, um, you know, his quads are three times bigger than usual. I mean, I've met Randy Orton in person. He's a big dude. His hand is pretty much as big as this monster can and it was it was just it was just ridiculous. The thing that gets me is that he's he's a very large men's health body type guy, and all of a sudden, like this week, like like his abs were kind of pushed out, which is uh, the what they call the distended ab look, which happens usually when you take HGH. Again, I'm not saying he does or he doesn't, but his, his it's weird the way his body's evolving, and he has that big Cro-Magnon dome. That was going on. I, I don't know. Again, it's his body. Do whatever the fuck you want. But it definitely just struck me weird how odd he looked between, I'd like to say, this this episode of Raw and maybe the last six episodes. 
I, like I said, maybe he's just hitting the gym a little harder. Maybe he's eating a little better. Who knows? But he, he just he just definitely looks like like something else is going on. As for the match itself, it, it was all right. You know, I think um, you know the Wyatt family interference was it, it was nice. A little bit of of a setup there. Um, of course, Bray Wyatt was injured at a house show, so I'm assuming they're gonna go with the Wyatt family teasing the Miz for a little bit before the the big program starts, which is fine. I I have no problem with that. I think the thing that gets me the most is that in the Miz's case, he always looks out of place in certain programs. Like, this is a guy who went from up here, from main eventing mania, to fucking up a couple of matches, and then falling here, and then he's pretty much just being... Uh, been relegated to jobber fodder, which is unfortunate. I think the Miz is is a promising talent. He's got good presence, good mic work. His his move set just leaves a lot to be desired. I think giving him, you know, the pretty much double J stroke, Jeff Jarrett stroke finisher, and then trying to give him the figure four. Yeah, I mean it's cool, you know, the Ric Flair endorsement, but I, I, it just doesn't fit the Miz's move set. I think that the best Miz that we saw was when he was working with John Morrison in in the tag team and in the early goings with Alex Riley when he was feuding with um, Daniel Bryan and John Cena. I think at that point we started getting a better a better Miz because the guy is just a natural heel. This whole babyface persona it just it just doesn't work for me. I mean even even Jay in the chat says that you know he was he was probably. At, you know, he needs to be a heel again. Uh, DJ Decade feels that the best Miz was when he was with R-Truth. I don't know if he's trolling. I, I, the only good thing about him being with R-Truth were those awkward-ass interview segments. Other than that, I, you know, I think, um, I think, like I said, heel Miz is just a natural fit. There are certain guys, and if you remember when we, um, you know, when we interviewed... Uh, what the, uh, Dr. Rice a couple of months back, he was talking about certain guys that are guaranteed heels and guaranteed faces based on their personalities. And when you look at a guy like The Miz, you just see smarmy douchebag. That's what you see. You see, you know, smarmy douchebag club guy that comes up and gives the, the guy at the door a 20, walks in with his hot-ass girlfriend and sits in the VIP section ordering five or six bottles a night. That's what I see when I look at The Miz. I don't see you know, blue collar guy or, or guy that can connect with the audience on some, on some different way. I see a, you know, a reality show guy who got super famous and pretty much is mainstream material from top to bottom. Now, what I would do with a guy like the Miz is either put him in a, in a tag team with a guy that's just as douchey as he is, or just, just give him a, a full on heel run and let him just run rampant, just being cocky, interrupting guys when they're cutting promos, all that shit. Him coming out, yeah, the Miz. He's no, it just it just doesn't work for me. And and him getting murder, death, killed by Orton, it, it it's not doing him any favors. And and you know, Miz and Punk would work, but you know what I would say if you want to go with like that club vibe, I would put the Miz with Zack Ryder. As shitty as it sounds, and as weird as it as it sounds, think about it. You know. You could you could turn Zack Ryder heel, and you could give him like you know the club Jersey guy persona. Starts hanging out with the Miz. The Miz is like, hey man, stick with me, kid. I'll get you into all the awesome parties, all this shit. 
And it, just, it, it would work. I think that you can really bring those two guys together. And frankly, considering how social media savvy WWE is and how much they try to market The Miz as a mainstream guy, putting him with Zack Ryder works twofold. It allows Zack Ryder to do something better, and it allows him to, it allows The Miz to kind of learn a little bit from Ryder from a mainstreaming standpoint, because Ryder built his gimmick himself. And while The Miz is real world caliber, there's still, there's still more to The Miz that he can learn from a guy like Ryder. And in Ryder's case, he gets that mainstream um, main event rub from The Miz. You know, Jay in the chat is saying that they should suit them up and call them the VIPs. That's what I'm saying. Like, that kind of a gimmick, that club vibe gimmick where they come out and, um, see, Miz, you know, DJ Decade says Miz and Cena. The problem with Cena is I uh, that Cena in, a, in any kind of a group, I think the best... Cena grouping that I've that I've seen was him with the prime time, uh, not with the prime time players, with uh, with Crime Time. Cena and Crime Time worked. You had that that street vibe, a little bit of swagger to him. It really worked. Um, you know, it's, it's, Cena now, not so much. He you know he elaborated a little bit, DJ Decade, and said old Cena, old Cena with with the Miz. Yeah, maybe a little bit. But but Cena, I've always felt Cena with with like Crime Time would have worked, but now like like Cena's way too he's he's in Hulk Hogan territory where he doesn't need a, a group of guys, and if he did, it would have to be a group of guys that that are that are coming together for something bigger than being just a faction, like on some four horsemen shit. Not to say that that Cena, not to say that Cena would um would shine from being in a faction because the problem is that he's so big that any guy that's in a faction with him would, would have to be on that same level. I want to go back to like when they put stone cold together with um, triple H and they were the two man power trip that worked because you had two guys that were so upper echelon. So, so big on the main card that, when they were together, there was there was magic there. There really was. I mean, obviously, the you know the injury to Triple H and all that stuff it it, it hurt that greatly. But the two man power trip was the type of faction that really worked for those two guys because they were so upper echelon, so high up. And when you take a guy like Cena and you want to talk about factions, you know, you got to put him in that upper echelon two man power trip type of a group. That's the only way I see Cena ever being able to to make any sort of a faction work. To acknowledge uh, DJ Decade, he says, uh, Stone Cold needs to come back and fight Punk. I am 100% in agreement with you with regards to that. I would love to see that match. I think that the chemistry between those guys, the match quality, the buildup would just be phenomenal. Phenomenal. Those two guys would probably go in there and deliver a five-star match like this, it would it would be tremendous. It would definitely be tremendous. Anyway, Fandango took on Santino because why why not? It is it is what it is. Um, I I can't I can't even I can't even really say anything about this match that isn't worthy of taking a bathroom break. Meanwhile, Los Matadores took on. Another variation of 3MB this week, which was pretty much shit. Not because Los Matadores aren't over, 
Because they are. They are. They're definitely over because of the little the little midget in the bull suit. But um, I think the problem with 3MB is that you're taking these guys, you're throwing them out there every week, every week, every week, and you're trying to really help um, Los Matadores fine-tune their gimmick, have um, better offense. And I think 3MB is good for that. But the problem is now we've seen this match three to I think four times already, considering I think it was... Uh, Main event, they had a match. Raw, they had a match. I want to say in, on SmackDown as well. And then this coming month, you know, this past Monday, it's like, all right, move them along. Uh, obviously, they're grooming them for a program against the Real Americans, which I think would work well. But the problem with that is that if Los Matadores don't go over in that feud, it's good. You're, you're going to derail their entire push like that because. You have these guys, the real Americans are a guaranteed feud, but if you don't let these guys get over, it's it's not going to do them any favors. Now, the real Americans, the thing with them is Cesaro is running with the ball, you know, with the Cesaro swing, his, his great match work, his great work ethic. He's just running with the ball. It almost feels like Cesaro is carrying Jack Swagger at this point. That's not really the case because Swagger is definitely come into his own over the last couple of months, but Cesaro's really getting the majority of the match time. So if the rumors are to be believed and they do break them up, you know, I would, I, I, I feel bad because Swagger would be on the losing end with regards to a breakup with that tag team. So Triple H comes out, cuts himself a nice little promo. Uh, Daniel Bryan comes out to interrupt, gets interrupted by Del Rio in his snazzy pink T-shirt for Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and um, you know we get a we get a little bit of a build-up for that match later on. Now Ryback and our truth, on the other hand, was it was it was a train wreck, and not for and not for all the wrong reasons. The reason I felt that match was a train wreck was because Ryback doesn't work well with high flyers. What's going to happen in Ryback's case is you put him out there and you put whenever he faces high flyers, it just makes him look terrible. I don't know why, but it just makes him look awkward, especially because he it makes him he looks like he's moving in slow motion. And our truth for as big of a guy as he is, is very quick, very agile. And it just it just poor chemistry. It definitely was a funny start, but the crowd just died, and it really knocked the the match quality down a couple of pegs. Now, the funny thing about this match isn't just the fact that, you know, Ryback and Truth had a crazy match, but um, the fact is that they acknowledged the Goldberg chance. Of course, they used that to show the Goldberg DVD, but a lot of rumors have been floating around saying that Goldberg is being courted by WWE to come back and have a match with Ryback. Now... Uh, question for those of you in the chat. If Goldberg and Ryback had a match at WrestleMania, would you A, look forward to it, and B, do you feel that Goldberg would need to go over in this match to to really, uh, you know, make amends for how shitty he was treated in his last run? I'm, I'm curious to see what you guys say. In my In my opinion, I feel that if Goldberg is coming in, he's got to do, you, you know... If he's coming in to put Ryback over, then yeah, you know, I. but but you, we all know Goldberg is not going to come into WrestleMania and do the job 
for fucking Ryback to put Ryback over. Now, if you wanted to generate a buzz and increase a buy rate, then yeah, I can see that. But, you know, DJ Decade says yes, and Goldberg would win. And then Slick went on to say that they would push Rybitch and they would let Goldberg lose. Jay Santi said, I'll watch it. I wouldn't care who won. It would stink up the place. Now, here's the here's the funny thing. To, to kind of elaborate a little bit on what Jay says. You know, in, 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 in J- what Jay is saying is, is that, you know, those guys would, would stink up the place. Here's, here's my, my, my thing with regards to that. Ryback isn't a shitty wrestler. The problem with Ryback is that he's so, he's so WWE cookie cutter, punch, kick, punch, kick, power move, power move, that they don't allow him to, to try anything new. They just feel that the typical jacked up big man offense is the way to go. Add a little personality, add a little bit more to it. You know, the meat hook clothesline is cool. When he was doing the, the shell shock to two or three guys, it was cool. But it is true. The, the Goldberg chants are there because it's, it, he's so, he fits the, the Goldberg archetype so well that even, even if you, even if you put him with a ma- in a match with Goldberg and he beats Goldberg to, to to vi- you know to validate his character it it's still not going to do anything more it's just going to be oh yeah you know he fought goldberg and he won goldberg put him over great that's that's the problem ryback is so he's so pretty much stuck in this wwe archetype that, that he for him to get out he's going to need a to stay with paul Heyman for the remainder of the year That'll help him work on his mic skills. B, he's gonna need to work with guys that actually can bring out the best. And when I say that, think about the matches he had with Daniel Bryan and how good they were. Daniel Bryan made him look amazing. Of course, everybody in the chat is gonna say Daniel Bryan makes everybody look good. But still, Ryback looked good against Daniel Bryan. They were solid matches on Raw and on SmackDown. But, um... You know, the, the thing that gets me is that putting him in there with Goldberg, Goldberg hasn't been in the ring in years. He'd have to he'd have to get ready, not only from a from a wrestling standpoint, but just from being back in front of the crowd. I think Goldberg is gonna come out and to say you know, to go into you know, GFQ four ninety one says half the fans won't even know who he is, but you know, it's it's weird that that that's it you know, the Goldberg thing Ryback and Taker DJ decade has been has been discussed, um, but you know what the thing is with that match. You know Taker's go- needs to win if what you were saying is true about him retiring after Mania. I think that if Taker's going to have his last match and he's going to retire, uh, <laughs> you know, the, a match with Ryback is just a foregone conclusion from a from a pay per view standpoint. It might get some attention, but it just. Like, like, here's the thing. I love The Undertaker. I love the fact that his gimmick is, you know, I'm going to wrestle once a year, and it is what it is. The problem is with The Undertaker that he's never in matches with guys that legitimately pose a threat. Like, in, 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 in Taker's case, when he took on, when he took on CM Punk, I kind of thought CM Punk had the best chance to end the streak. Because CM Punk, it would have validated his whole best in the world all that stuff, I really felt in Punk's booking that Punk may have been the guy to break the streak. We all know Taker's streak is probably going to go 
into the history books, him being undefeated, and that's how he's going to go into the Hall of Fame. So the problem with that is that any guy that comes in that's not like like John Cena. If it was John Cena and The Undertaker, you could you could say, yeah, you know, John Cena could break the streak. You know, there's there's a there's a there's a glimmer. There's a glimmer of 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 possibility that that he could he could break the streak. I doubt it's gonna happen, but when you look at it like Undertaker versus Ryback, Undertaker versus Mark Henry, Undertaker versus the big show. When you look at those guys, you know that those guys aren't going to be the guys to break the streak. The funny thing was, though, I believe not last week's show, the week prior, we were there was a rumor saying that Ryback was the guy that WWE would have thought would break the streak. Like, that's the guy that they'd groom to break the Undertaker streak. And honestly, I, I really feel that the Undertaker streak should not be broken. Shouldn't be broken. On the contrary, let him have his match with whoever it is, retire, and that's it. I, I really feel that there's no necessity to break the streak. Seriously, there's not. On the contrary, you should allow The Undertaker to retire undefeated and maybe start a new streak with Kane. Like Kane could cut a promo the following Monday and say, you know, my brother, he retired, one of the best in the business, and to honor his accomplishments, I too will try and, and, and start my own streak. That would be awesome because you know Kane would start his own streak and it would just be it would give Kane's character a little bit more, you know, some depth, which would which would be good. I think Kane's character is a guy that I would that I would use to continue that that streak, especially being the brother of the Undertaker and doing all this stuff. I, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that because Kane is Kane Kane has done too much for the company to not be given something. And it's true. Some some of you guys are saying he's too old. He's not the same. But still, Kane, Kane is a workhorse. The guy's been with the company for it feels like for forever. I remember watching Kane's debut. So so seeing a guy who's such a consistent workhorse, I would reward that guy for his hard work. It's the same thing with Mark Henry. Mark Henry's another guy who I felt hit his stride so late in the game that at this point, anything that you try to do with Mark Henry is on borrowed time. I've said this before, you know, Mark Henry's a guy that he's, he's, he's just an, an amazing athlete and he was saddled with so many shitty gimmicks. And when he finally had that good hall of pain gimmick, he had all those injuries and all that stuff. And it just, it just derailed a promising run for him. Dark Helmet is saying that 2002 Kane was amazing. I think the Kane that said, was that when he set Jim Ross on fire? Can somebody pull up that clip of Kane setting Jim Ross on fire? Because that was probably one of the craziest Kane moments when, when JR, I believe, was in Oklahoma and Kane set him on fire. I was like, holy shit, that is insanity at its best. Because, you know, JR, JR is a guy that does, does so many awesome things for the company. It's like, oh my God, you're going to get set on fire by Kane. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy though. Kane has done so much and it's, it's a travesty that he hasn't done. Thank you. Slick. He hasn't done something noteworthy in a long time. I mean, his run with Daniel Bryan was fantastic, but I'm talking about singles career, solo run, guaranteed feud, you know, give us, give us something that good, give Kane something better than just coming out. You know, the, the, the movies obviously are a nice touch, but Give him something. I think the guy has definitely earned it. So we get 
tons of funk and the real Americans, which we all know is just an excuse for Antonio Cesaro to try and do another uh, Cesaro, you know, Cesaro spin or uh, Cesaro swing, whatever you want to call it. But we ended up just getting the Cesaro neutralizer spot on Brodus Clay, which is always awesome. That's always a great spot to have. Um, Tamina Snuka and a- with AJ and Brie Bella was... Uh, here's, the, here's the problem with this match. It wasn't a bad match, but here's the thing. All, you magically turn Brie Bella face and nobody notices. People are like, what? She's a face now? Like, think about it. AJ did her pipe bomb promo and you automatically felt that it was the Divas against the Total Divas cast. Then out of nowhere... You know, Brie gets engaged to Daniel Bryan, and then that automatically makes her a face. And then AJ is automatically the heel in this equation. It just, it was so poorly, not poorly done, but it just didn't feel natural in the least. On the contrary, people are saying that Brie Bella's face turn has been poorly received by management. I don't know how true that is, but I felt the audience didn't give two shits about Brie Bella being face in this match. On the contrary, I think more people want AJ to go out there and beat these chicks up. Because, you know, after the promo she had, you would expect that from AJ. And aligning Tamina with her is great, but the problem with Tamina is that she's she's so aggressive, her offense is so aggressive, that if she's not in there with divas that are her size or, or just more durable it just looks like a glorified squash. That's really what it looks like. When you have that kind of a match, you you really expect, like, think about this. If you had Awesome Kong back in the WWE, her and Tamina would probably have incredibly violent matches, incredibly violent physical matches. You know, that's, that's what you would expect when you involve a, a, a wrestler like Tamina. But... It, you know, it, the thing is that when you put Tamina in there with smaller with smaller wrestlers, it looks out of place. I mean, she she needs some polish. Don't get me wrong. Tamina's definitely not the most accomplished. But the problem also is that she's not out there consistently mixing it up with divas that will help her improve. Tamina and Brie Bella is a battle. It, it's pretty much the equivalent of a styrofoam dartboard and you throwing two balls at the same time and, and seeing which one sticks closest to the bullseye. It's either Brie Bella steps it up and carries Tamina, which isn't going to happen, or Tamina carries Brie Bella, which she fucking can't. Simple as that. The problem with the Divas division is the fact that it's not as deep as it used to be. And when I say deep, I'm talking about deep with, 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 with good talent. Good talent. I'm not talking about Natalia and AJ only. I'm talking about good talent. Like when we go back... Think about this. You had Beth Phoenix, Natalia, uh, Layla was on television a bit more. You had Melina. You had a decent number of divas that would deliver some solid matches. Then all of a sudden, you know, Beth Phoenix got tired and she left. Then Natalia went on Total Divas and that's it. Naomi seems to be promising, but you know what it is? Everybody talks about how Naomi's such a great wrestler. We don't fucking see it because nine times out of 10, she's in these multi-diva tag matches. She gets one or two spots. You know, she does the flying ass bump and that's it. Meanwhile, you take, you know, you have 
the Cameron. Oh, Cameron's going to get in the ring. N- please, please don't. Please put, don't put Cameron in the ring. And let's not talk about Kool-Aid Head and JoJo, because when they get in the ring, this is what happens. Oh, my God! Ah! 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 Oh, that's better. Ah! Ah! That's, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much all that happens when, when, you know, JoJo and Eva Marie get in the ring. And again, Eva Marie is hated. Everybody seems to hate her. I'm sure she'll come along, but the thing is, you bring these girls in, and I really feel that they're tossing them out there into the wolves. Like, I miss, you know, Dark Helmet talking about Lita, Trish Stratus, Molly Holly, Ivory, Jazz. You know, Jazz was awesome. I miss Jazz. Like, a lot of people don't give Jazz a lot of credit, but Jazz was was a hardcore chick. She would get in there and fight dudes and it would look believable. Miss Jacqueline was another one. Miss Jacqueline was awesome. She'd go in there and she'd mix it up with the guys and, and have great matches. And it's true, Lita was great because she trained in Mexico and she really fine-tuned her craft. Don't get me wrong, that, that one dive that she did on Trish Stratus where she almost paralyzed herself was not her best moment. But Lita did have some tremendous matches. You know, then you look at... um. Think about this. You look at Mickey James. Mickey James, when she was in the WWE and she was mixing it up with Trish Stratus, we had some great matches. She goes to TNA, her, Gail Kim, ODB. They all have solid matches. Fuck, she even got a good match out of Taryn Terrell, who's actually in the news this week. Meanwhile, on the WWE side, it's like like they signed Sarah Del Rey. Where the fuck is she? I heard she's training the Divas, but it's just like, all right, you signed Sarah Del Rey. Yes, she is not the epitome of, you know, Playboy Centerfold. But Sarah Del Rey is a fucking wrestler. Sarah Del Rey is a chick that goes out there and gives you quality matches. And the thing that gets me with that is that, look, I understand you guys want, you know, chicks that are Playboy Playmates spank material. I get it. I understand that. But please let them let them learn the fundamentals. If you guys remember when Kelly Kelly wrestled, she probably had one of the worst clotheslines I've ever seen. Kelly Kelly's clothesline was probably the most embarrassing clothesline I've seen. I think my cats deliver better clotheslines wrestling each other. And that's, you know, Kelly Kelly was a chick that they had her up there in this upper pedestal because she was blonde and good looking and, you know, she wore little shorts and she was hot and it was great. But again... Where where does where does where where do we draw the line with throwing chicks on television that aren't ready? I'll tell you when we draw the line. When one of these chicks goes out there, tries to do a spot, and injures herself terribly. That's when we'll draw the line. Jay Jay's in there saying I'm on a rant again. No, it, it's it, it's think about it. Think about all these women that you toss to the wolves and you're having them do these spots. And, and most of them aren't, aren't equipped. They're not prepared. They're not prepared, and one of them is going to get hurt, and they're going to have to be like, fuck, we got we to gotta really work with these chicks. Look at, look at Sin Cara. Sin Cara didn't do WWE developmental. He went on TV right away. He either botched, botched matches on the regular or got hurt on the regular. I mean, yeah, part of it is because his body is built with fucking toothpicks, but... Again, you have to go through the process. 
You come from the independents. You go to developmental for a little bit. You become a WWE level wrestler. Then you go on television. You take these Playboy Playmates. You take all these lingerie football league chicks. You take them, boom, into developmental. You leave them down there for about a year, at least a year, a year and a half. Then you bring them up gradually, gradually. Seriously, that's that's how it works. You bring them up gradually. You don't throw them to the wolves. You don't throw JoJo out there. You don't throw Eva Marie out there. I, I, from what they're saying, they threw Eva Marie out there as a trial by fire because, you know, she she thought that she was hot shit and they wanted to embarrass her on national television. How true is that? I don't know. But seriously, there's there's way too many promising, like Paige, Paige and NXT, tremendous. Why the fuck isn't she on TV? Someone please tell me. Someone. Like, Paige should be up there. Paige should be up there. I understand that you don't want to use, um, you know, Prissy Hen. You don't want to, you don't want to use uh, Summer Rae in matches because she's too busy being Fandango's valet, and that's fine. But you know, it's it's uh, it's it's weird. It's weird because they're, they they got chicks in the developmental system that are pretty good, and they're just down there, just just hanging out. Can somebody tell me where the fuck Layla is? Anyone? Where's Layla? I haven't seen Layla on TV in a couple of weeks. Is she hurt? Is she injured? Something. Somebody, I'm sure, will tell me that she was on TV on some show that I didn't even notice. But, it, you know, where's Layla? <laughs> Layla, was, oh, Layla was pretty solid in the ring. Alicia Fox is all right. Alicia Fox has come a long way. I remember when Alicia Fox came out initially, she sucked. But she, she's improved. And now they were talking about um, Michelle McCool coming back for a match at WrestleMania 30. Ugh. Ah, she's pregnant. Thank you. Thank you, DJ. Thank you very much. DJ Decade is on fire, dropping knowledge tonight. Thank you, sir. Um, it, it's weird, you know? I think I think that they, they have so much promising talent that just hangs out by the wayside. Anyway, let's move on because I could bash the Divas for an entire hour. Oh, that was a joke? Fuck, I thought she was pregnant for real. I was about to say, who was the lucky guy? But... Guess not. I I almost felt like it would be Wade Barrett, I guess, because they're English and all, but that's just a, a bad English joke. Anyway, moving on. CM Punk took on Curtis Axel in a beat-the-clock match. Uh, Kurt Angle, I mean, Kurt Angle. Curtis Axel looked, um, he looked good. He looked pretty good in that match. The problem with that match was the fact that it just, it just felt very, um, you know, very paint-by-numbers. It was, eh, you know? It was it was it was weird. It was very very weird that Curtis Axel, for as accomplished as he is, mixes it up with CM Punk a couple of times, and it just paint by numbers. It's it wasn't a terrible match. I I don't I don't want to say that. I don't want to say it was a shitty match. But think about it. Curtis Axel goes out there. The guys tra- helped the Rock get ready. He's helped Brock Lesnar get ready to, for for their WrestleMania matches. This is a guy that people talk to on the regular and, and he helps prepare these, the, these legendary wrestlers. He helps them get ready. This is a guy with an accomplished background and an incredible pedigree. And he just, I don't understand why his matches seem so generic. And it's true. The announcers did give it away. It just feels, and, and I don't know if it's him. I don't know if it's the music or the gimmick or I don't know what exactly it is, but Curtis Axel seems very drab. 
and he's almost falling into Ted DiBiase Jr. territory. In Ted DiBiase Jr.'s defense, he had name, look, everything. And he just just didn't have it. Whatever the it was that, that WWE looks for, he just didn't have it. In Curtis Axel's case, he has everything, but that it, that it factor, I, I personally can't tell you what the fuck it is. I don't know what it is. And I've been I've been watching different matches just to see, you know, I've watched when he was tag teaming in the you know, and then the tag teaming with the Nexus when he was I've I've watched a couple of different matches on YouTube and every match I see with with Curtis Axel with Michael McGillicuddy, he's he 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 he's the guy that stands out. He's the guy that goes out there and gives you a, a good match. He goes out there and gives you a good match. But it's just a good match. It's not a memorable match. It's not a match that you go, hey, man, Curtis Axel fucking went in there and, and you know, it really, really delivered. It's it's like, oh, Curtis Axel had a match and it was good. I'm tired of saying that because I feel Curtis Axel has a lot to offer. I think he's a, he's, he's a, he's a good hand. He's a guy that goes out there and does what he does his thing. But it just it just feels like like something huge is missing. You know, that's what I feel. Jay says, if he was Axel from the beginning, instead of that McGillicuddy bullshit, he would have been bred for the spot now. All right. L- let's, let's think about that for a second. Let's, let, let's go into it a little better. You come in. Curtis Axel. You, you go through the motions. Again. Yeah, the wrestling would have got him there, but what's, what, what else is missing? What else is missing? And that's where I feel... Like think about it. You let's look at let's look at legacy. Let's go let's go back a little bit. We look at legacy. You have Cody Rhodes, successful right now. You had Ted DiBiase, meh. Cur- I, you know Curtis Axel is in that category. He's in that group of guys that have come in that just they can't break. You can't break through through the glass. You can't break through the glass ceiling. I don't know what it is and. To go into to go into what uh, GFQ four ninety one is saying, he said, you know, stop comparing him to his father. It's true. I don't compare Curtis Axel to to Kurt Hennig. I don't. I don't. I, nor Cody to Dusty. On the contrary, those guys were they just found their niches. What what gets me with Curtis Axel is that he can't even find himself. You know, he can't even find himself. It seems it's like Paul Heyman laid out this blueprint of who he was and what his character is. And the Paul Heyman blueprint is there, but just the match, that breakout moment, that that moment that you look at the guy and you go, fuck, that guy is it. That guy is the future. It just hasn't happened. I don't know if it's the feud. I don't know if it's that it's too much Paul Heyman, where, where Paul Heyman has overshadowed Curtis Axel. It's, it's, it's not, you know... I don't know. I think the thing with that Curtis Axel needs is a solid program. And I mean a solid program with a guy that genuinely can bring out something more than, than just a good match. You need a guy that can test him on the mic and putting him with CM Punk was good, but you had to add Ryback into the equation because P- CM Punk was taking Curtis Axel's lunch in every fucking promo. Every promo they had, Curtis Axel's lunch was being taken by CM Punk. CM Punk would come out there, 
drop the mic, and you'd be like, fuck, do I even want to hear Curtis Axel speak? It's true. Like, giving giving Curtis Axel CM Punk was a big no. I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have done it. Because you should have, you know, you could have done something with, with, with a mid-card guy that would have got you some good matches. Like, Curtis Axel, Cody Rhodes. I'd watch that program, not only because of their fathers, but just because those guys, I just feel, would mesh better. It, it, I think it, it was, you know, I think that would mesh better. Curtis Axel and, and Cody would have been a good feud for both guys. And it's true, you know, CM Punk coming off that Brock Lesnar feud and, and feuding with Axel, it just felt like a step down. No disrespect to Curtis Axel, I like him. Like I said, I like the guy. It's just CM Punk was, was up here. He was fucking cloud nine. Curtis Axel was coming up the steps. He was he He's not there yet. CM Punk would cut a promo and I'd just look at Curtis Axel's face and he'd just be, he'd be dumbfounded. He'd be like, uh, fuck you, Punk. You know, like that's what it was. He'd just stare at the camera blankly and then Heyman would whisper in his ear like, I think this is the part where you're supposed to say CM Punk is a piece of shit. You know, like that's what it was. Like, like Paul Heyman's in his ear telling him like, I think this is the part where you tell him to go fuck himself. Like that's, that's the problem. The problem is, Paul Heyman is too big for Curtis Axel, especially in this CM Punk feud. Like, Heyman should have been put with Axel and feuded, you know, have him feud with anybody else except Punk. Except Punk. You would have given Ryback to Heyman. Ryback could have feuded with Punk. Axel could feud with somebody. Somebody else. Punk? No dice. Recipe for disaster. Anyway, of course, CM Punk beats the clock. It is what it is. Handicap match at Hell in the Cell. Ryback, Paul Heyman, and CM Punk. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, Del Rio took on Daniel Bryan. Of course, this was set up earlier in the evening with the uh, sneak attack. You know, the se- here's, here's the problem with this entire setup. The match was okay. Del Rio's just a fucking vanilla motherfucker. Without R- Ricardo, he is, he is meh. Anyway. So the match ends with a countout. Daniel Bryan runs in, sees Randy Orton in the dressing room, runs in. Oh, hey, where's, where is he? Bree, where is he? I don't know. I don't know. Randy Orton's in a room that is no bigger than, than where I'm broadcasting from. Where the fuck do you think he is? Clearly behind the door. Unless he, he hit outside of the room, which makes sense. But Brie Bella was fucking terrible. Where, where is he? I don't know. And then it's like, you know, he, he's, you know, Randy Orton's whooping Daniel Bryan's ass, whooping his ass. And he's like, oh, stop, leave him alone. It's like, yo, you're, you're, you're marrying this dude. You're not a ride or die chick. Like, like not even from, from a storyline standpoint, but let's be honest. And a lot of you guys, some of you are married in the chat. Some of you have significant others. Answer me this. You're in a room. You're getting your ass kicked in front of your wife. Don't you think that your wife would come in, break a bottle, hit him with a chair? I don't know, kick him in the nuts, whatever the case may be. But don't you think that your wives or significant others would would get involved? No? No, Jay, really? Like Like if you were in some shit... Your wife wouldn't come in and crack a dude over the head? 
No? What the fuck? See, she'll... <laughs> Way to go, 491. She will cut them. That's what I'm saying. Like, Daniel Bryan's legitimately getting fucked up. And she's just like, no, stop it. No. I'm like, I'm like, yo, you're marrying this dude. Like, what, what the fuck is going on? Where is he? I don't know where he is. Really? You're in a room the size of a fucking closet? And you don't know where the fuck he went? Holy shit, step your acting up. Damn. Where is he? I don't know. Come on. There you go. See, DJ Decade saying it. Wife would kick him in the balls. That's what I'm saying. Like, yo, you're marrying this chick. She's supposed to be a ride or die chick. You know, a chick that, that sells clothes at Queen Center. And it's just like, yo, we're, nothing. I'm just going to stand there. I'm going to stand there and let my man get his ass kicked. <laughs> Jay, Jay Santee's missus has a thing for Dean Ambrose, according to what he's told me. And um, he said if Dean Ambrose was beating him up, she would help him. Yep, the outfit was yep, the outfit was changed. It was it was just a poor fucking segment. Oh, where is he? What do you mean, where is he? Is he behind the door? Like, when Daniel Bryan ran in, let's say Randy Orton was waiting outside. She could have been like, I don't know, he went out the door. I don't know where he went. But it's just like... You don't show, like, Randy Orton is, like, in the corner of the fucking room. It, it was, uh, and, and it, yep, she was standing with no limp. It, yes! No fucking storytelling credentials whatsoever. None. I'm like, I'm like, yo, really? You just letting your man get fucked up? Like, legitimately, you're letting your man get fucked up. What a shame. What a fucking shame. I was like, damn. It was just, it was just sad. It was just such a sad segment. It really was. And it's not even Daniel Bryan's fault. It was just poorly acted from start to finish. Anyway, let's get into this main event, which was phenomenal. Started off solid and, and it just, it just picked up. It just picked up. And, and the crazy thing was gold dust was on fire. You had an awesome spot from Reigns that spear into the barricade was tremendous the power bomb into the barricade was was bananas as well. It was just complete and utter awesome from start to finish. That that power bomb from Rollins on Cody after the missed disaster kick was I I, I love that. I love the, the the aggression in that match. There was there was tremendous violence. There was tremendous oh shit moments. You're like you really went crazy when you were watching it unfold. And I really felt that dropping the titles. To the Rhodes dynasty was the right thing to do. It was such a, it was such a right thing to do because it not only validated the feud, but it also gave the authority a kick in the ass and it allowed the faces to really get the upper hand. And like, and this is one of those cases where the loss does not hurt the shield in the least. It doesn't hurt him in the least. On the contrary, the loss is going to make the shield more dangerous because they were riding that wave of momentum that champions have. You know, you get cocky, you get comfortable. That's what it sets up. And then, you know, the shield, the shield chasing for the belts, it just works. It definitely works. And and it does set up a brother versus brother match down the road when they, um, when they split those guys up. But if I, if they were smart, keep the belts on the roads, brothers, and then may, maybe down the road, have, excuse me, have something happen where they lose the belts, Cody gets mad, like, fuck, you know, I shouldn't have trusted you, I knew you were gonna come in, and, and you were just, you, you were you were gonna fuck it up, and we lost the belts because of you, 
and then you could just you could just set that up. But the match itself was just beautiful. It was a beautiful fucking match. Goldust was on fire. Uh, Cody had great spots, and the Shield were just tremendous. I'm so impressed with the way that the that the Shield come in there and they just deliver awesome matches with all their opponents, all their opponents. Because everybody's like, ah, the Shield, they only work really well with Danny Bryan. Nope, the Shield go out there and they work well with practically everybody. The only thing is, and I will say this, Dean Ambrose and Rollins carry the bulk of the wrestling. When you need the power moves done and you bring Reigns in, that's because Reigns' ring work is, it's good, but it needs a little polish, just a, just a, 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 a little touch. Nothing crazy, because Roman Reigns is probably going to be a guy that they're going to groom to be a tremendous main eventer in, in a few years. But Reigns needs, he, he's got it. He does got it. He's got the look. He's got, you know, he's got the look. He's got the body type. He, he has the offense, you know, the spear and, and, the, and the power bomb. He's, he's the big man of the team, and it shows. But it, the thing that got me was that when you look at him, you see that he's, he's, he's not quite there yet. Not quite there. Rollins, Rollins is weaker on the mic, but his wrestling is better. Ambrose, though, is the complete dude. Ambrose is wrestling and promo work. Everything that Ambrose does screams future main eventer. You know, this is a guy that when he gets his solo run, he's going to be a villain of epic proportions. He's going to be a villain that's going to be a throwback. He's going to be the guy that's going to, you know, spit at your mom in the front row. He's that type. You could see it already. You could see the type of character he is because the way he's been working is just a vicious throwback. Vicious. It's, it, it is, you know. Uh, GFQ 491 says Ambrose's wrestling isn't that great. You know what the thing is? I've seen, you know, a lot of his stuff when he wrestled as Moxley and I, and I liked it, but it's, it's definitely more old school. Definitely. You know, Jay Santi says Ambrose screams. I'm from the Indies. Um, you know, I think, I think in Ambrose's case, his style works because it's, it's very, I don't even want to say it's, it's very academic cause it's not, but it just seems more, more violent. Yeah, Slick Slick says Ambrose's melee attacks are what are shit. <laughs> there you go. A uh, little video game uh, throw out there. His melee attacks are no good. But I think Ambrose Ambrose has the he has the look. He has the look. He has the yeah, the pedigree, the pe- you know, the pedigree is there. The look is there. Sure his wrestling to some of you maybe I I, I feel his wrestling is just like classic like old school. You know, to to go with what 491 is saying, just old school. I I feel it's old school. The way it's it's executed, the amount of viciousness. Like this is a guy that'll drop an elbow, do the forearm in the eyes while he's trying to go in for the pin. You know, this is the guy that he'll go for the for the for the pin attempt and he'll hook both legs, not one leg, but both for the victory. This is the guy that he'll he'll rub it the the sole of his boot into your face. And while he's doing that, he'll make sure that he's holding on to the ropes for momentum. You know, those subtle touches, those, those little things that that when you look at them, you're like, wow, you know, that kind of brings it all together. And that's what I'm saying. Like some of these guys, they have things that they lack, whether it's it's mic work, whether it's wrestling. But then they also have little things that really, really work. Like, like I said, in Ambrose's case, it's just 
uh, a viciousness that works with that old school offense. Then you look at a, a you know you look at a Seth Rollins. He's a bit more polished. He's a he, you know he's got a a little bit of a high flying. He he can sell like like nobody's business. He can sell spots like nobody's business. And then you look at Reigns. Reigns is a WWE product through and through. Brought up through the system. Uh, great pedigree. He you know he's he's the guy that that you look at and you say this is your next rock. If 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 we're gonna use that term, this is your next rock. That's what they have with Roman Reigns. With Seth Rollins, they're they're looking at him as your next CM Punk. Seth Rollins is going to be your next CM Punk, pretty much. He's going to be that breakout guy, that guy that people can relate to, and Ambrose is going to be probably one of your one of your better villains. Period. That's how I see it. Anyway, Raw from top to bottom was 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 a solid. I'd like to say out of a possible ten, I'd say it was a a, a seven and a half. You had some low points. You did. But that main event really brought it up a couple of pegs. It was it was super good, super good. I was really impressed with everybody involved. Anyway, let's get into the rest of the wrestling news for this week. Um, if you've been watching TNA Impact and been wondering where the hell Taryn Terrell is, and I'm sure uh, all five of you are wondering that, she actually... Uh, posted on Twitter that she is pregnant. That is why she has not been on TV. And I was curious because Taryn Terrell came off some really good matches with um, Gail Kim and then just just faded to black. It was like, oh, shit, this chick, she had all these great matches. Where'd she go? Did she get fired? It turns out she's actually um, pregnant. So uh, congratulations to Taryn Terrell, and we'll see if she decides to come back after having the baby. Very, very interesting for sure. And some other TNA news, and this is from TMZ of all places. It seems that James Storm is pitching a reality show. According to what he wants his rea- you know, this reality show, according to what's being reported on TMZ, is going to follow a bar that he's opening in Nashville, Tennessee. And it would follow like James Storm and his friends and focus on crazy shenanigans that him and his redneck friends would get into at the bar. And, you know, the the thing is that the report made sure to state that James Storm is not using it as a vehicle to leave TNA. He is just looking to expand his brand. I didn't know James Storm had a brand. I like James Storm. Don't get me wrong. You know, he's, he, you know, country music, uh, you know, the, in Nashville. They love him down there. His his you know, he goes to the country music awards like he's he's that he's like a he's like a really, really redneck Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I'm and I'm not saying that as a knock to him because it works, and um, you know I feel that you know James Storm is a guy that when he was with um, when he was with Robert Roode, WWE were kind of looking at them, scouting them, thinking about bringing him in, and I'll be honest, I think that if they would have brought James Storm and Robert Roode into the WWE, Roode would have probably stayed, Storm would have got cut. And I'll tell you why. James Storm is a is a good wrestler, but he just he's he's way too he's way too down south. He's way too southern territory to 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 work in the WWE. And I, and I don't say that because I don't say that because it can't be fixed. I just say that because there's not a there's more to it. You know, you got to do more than just be uh you know drinking beers and and you know throwing out beer references here and there. Everybody's done it. Everybody's done it. Stone Cold has done it for his, you know, for for his entire gimmick. You know, 
It's it's just I think in Rude's case, Rude had that something, that something that would have worked. Storm, Storm is I don't even want to say he's too country because it's not even that he's too country. I just feel that his gimmick is it's you know, it's oh look I'm a cowboy and I drink beer, and I I wear my redneck pride on a sleeve. That's not really a gimmick. That's just who you are. It's great, but it's just yeah. Like I think the bet like James Storm when he was with Rude was tremendous. When he was with Chris Harris as America's Most Wanted was tremendous. When you have James Storm on his own, you know it like that. Like I said, down south he is incredibly over. The southern crowds love him. Tennessee loves him. You know that whole area down there where you know, you know any place that has a Confederate flag probably loves James Storm. Period. But he just he just doesn't he doesn't scream WWE guy. He screams Southern guy, you know, indie guy. That's that's what it is. And and again, it's not a knock to James Storm, but there's just guys when you look at, at WWE's roster and all the talent that they have, and you look at TNA's roster, you'll see there are guys that are pretty much shoe-ins to stand out in the WWE. Then there are guys that are where they are only in TNA and can't do get that same that same amount of um you know exposure in WWE like like think about this Eric Young Eric Young is a good wrestler he's a solid entertainer pretty decent guy would he make it in the WWE absolutely the fuck not Joseph Park Abyss Joseph Park mid card guy Abyss certifiable badass that works abyss could definitely work in the wwe the only problem is that you'd have to tweak that gimmick you'd have to tweak it a lot because you don't want people to say oh it's fucking mankind it's it's supersized mankind you know it's mankind with a soda and fries like like no you you gotta you gotta tweak that gimmick then you look at a guy like and and here's a like gunner Jay Santee said in on our Facebook fan page, he said that Gunner is the default created wrestler in WWE uh, 2K14. As 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 shitty as it sounds, it's true. You look at Gunner, jacked up guy, all these tattoos, great. What else is there? Nothing. You look at Hernandez. Hernandez is a guy. He would probably work in the WWE if you wanted that Latino superstar. But nine times out of ten, every guy he wrestles, they're three inches away from getting thrown either in the hospital or in the morgue because he needs polish. He needs work. But Hernandez is a guy, he's got the look. He's got the look. He's jacked up, got, you know, not too many um, crazy-looking tattoos, and, and he'd work. He'd work as that guy that could connect with the Latino audience. Think about this. And for those of you that are familiar with TNA in the chat, answer me this. If you can, if you had to choose Hernandez or Del Rio as the face for Latino wrestling fans, which would you choose? I'm curious. I'm curious if you guys would go with Hernandez or with Del Rio. Because looking at Hernandez, Hernandez has the look. He has what WWE wants so badly. You know, Vince McMahon talks about the big jacked up guys. Hernandez is that guy. You know, 
GFQ491, it bugs me that I don't know who you are. You should change your nickname so I know who the fuck you are so I could stop calling you GFQ491. <laughs> but um, Hernandez, from like, he, he screams WWE guy. But a couple of guys are split in the chat. Uh, 491 says Del Rio can work. Val says Del Rio has better mic skills. You know? <laughs> GFQ 491 likes being called GFQ 491. <laughs> unless it's unless it's Alex Reyes. You never know. <laughs> if that's the case, then he should change his nickname so he can get acknowledged correctly. Anyway, but this is what happens. Like you look at Hernandez, big, you know, big guy, looks looks the part. And this is what I'm saying. You 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 weigh out TNA's roster and you see the guys that really scream WWE. Austin Aries. Love Austin Aries to death. He would probably get jobbed the fuck out in a heartbeat. Even though I think Austin Aries would would be fantastic in the WWE, they would they would he would probably get demolished on the regular. He would be jobbed out in the blink of an eye, which is unfortunate because Austin Aries is a tremendous wrestler. Then you look at Frankie Kazarian. Look at Frankie Kazarian. He came into the WWE and he quit. He quit. He was like, fuck, I'm out. That, that, that's how crazy it is that Kazarian had the chance and he was just like, fuck it, I can't. I can't. I'm done. And, and you know what? Frankie Kazarian is, is a generic guy. Frankie Kazarian is Antonio Banderas mixed with Justin Gabriel. That's it. Justin Gabriel is everything that Frankie Kazarian would have been had he stayed. A decent guy, pretty cool moveset, but that's it. And this is these are the parallels. Samoa Joe, love Samoa Joe to death. Would he come into the WWE and kick ass? Yes. Would he come into the WWE and have tremendous matches? Absolutely. Would he come out with a spear and war paint and be the, be the manager of for the Usos, absolutely. Because that's what the WWE would do. It's not Samoa Joe the badass. It's Samoa Joe the pineapple picker. You know, so oh, I'm going to bring in my cousin, the pineapple farmer. And all of a sudden, Samoa Joe comes out with the Usos. Everybody's like, what the fuck? That's what, the, that, that's what would happen with Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe would be incredibly successful in the WWE. The problem is, he would be, you know, Uncle Iakea from the island and shit. That's what he would be. He would be, you know, Uncle Iakea. That's that that's what it is. He would be Kamakona from Hawaii 50 with the shrimp truck. You know, like they'd put him in a Hawaiian shirt and he'd come out with a Hawaiian shirt. Mahalo motherfuckers, and all of a sudden everybody's just like, "Oh shit, it's Samoa Joe." But just that's the problem. Everybody's like Oh, Samoa Joe, man, he should be in the WWE. He would be amazing. He would be tremendous. He would be Kamakona. He would be, you know, Uncle Iakea. He would be, I'm going to hand out lays when I come out and shit. Like, he's going to be that guy. He won't be badass Joe's going to kill you. I'm going to drop you on your fucking dome. He's going to be, hi, I'm going to give this Hawaiian lay to this little kid in the front row. No. And, and that's why everybody's like, hey, bring Samoa Joe in. And it's like, maybe not. Leave Samoa, you know, don't get me wrong. TNA is misusing him like a motherfucker. Don't get me wrong. Samoa Joe should be champion in TNA. But let's be realistic. You know, 
he, you know, he go. Val uses Taz as a great example. It's true. Hella badass goes to WWE. Done. Joe the jet ski renter. Thank you, Jay. But that's the kind of shit that would happen. Meanwhile, let, let you know, and and I'm I'm sticking with the TNA thing for a little bit because it's true. Look at here's another guy we could talk about, and this guy, former TNA guy, um, now back on the independents, Homicide. I love Homicide. I am a huge mark for Homicide. Homicide reminds me of every Puerto Rican dude I knew growing up. Every Puerto Rican dude I knew growing up when I grew up in the Bronx um, from 1987 till 1992 is Homicide. Like that's Homicide is the guy that's playing dominoes outside the bodega and he'll go and run some numbers in the barbershop. But if you owe him money, he will definitely fucking stab you in an alley on the way home. Like, like homicide is the equivalent of crime time 2.0. He is like, I don't know. Like people, Jay says that homicide is too much of a free thinker. He's crazy, but the hood, the amount of hood that he is, it, it was just, it would just be so crazy in the WWE. Like imagine he's backstage. John Cena comes by. Sup, sup one eight seven. Like you could call him like the one eight seven or whatever. If you, obviously, cause homicide is his, It'd be like, yo, what up, John Cena was really hood. And everybody's like, what the fuck just happened? You see Vince McMahon, get that guy off my screen. <laughs> like, like that's the kind of shit that would happen. Just super hood. I, I love Homicide. He's tremendous. But I think that PG WWE wouldn't work. Attitude Era WWE, Homicide would be the fucking man. Homicide would be the man. It's true, not PG. Homicide is Attitude Era all the way through now. It, it, but but I, I like Homicide way too much. I That's legitimately the mark in me. I'm marking out because Homicide is the fucking truth. And Val says, when will the PG era end? And I have a new story with regards to that. So I will get to that question. Again, you look at all these TNA guys. Magnus. Magnus is a WWE guy. Magnus definitely would come over. And, you know, he would definitely, he would, he would get over. Magnus is, is pretty. He's a pretty English guy. He's got the look. He's got the body type. He would work. Magnus would probably get over faster than Wade Barrett is, is, is trying to get over. Magnus would come over and they'd be like, oh, look, good looking English guy. Let's put him on TV. Done. Over. Put him with like William Regal or some shit or put him with Barrett help Barrett for a little bit, give Barrett a little bit of love, but it's true. You know, you got, you look at the rest of them, Kurt Angle, obviously, you know, he came back to the WWE. He'd have a thousand amazing matches. Kurt Angle would, Kurt Angle would have a match with uh, triple H's broken quad. And it would be a five-star match because that's the kind of shit that would happen. But you look at some of the other guys, sting, sting, another guy, bonafide hall of famer comes in, you know, has a match with the undertaker, retires, goes in the Hall of Fame, we're done. So let's not look at those guys. But then you look at, here. here's a guy that love him to death, think he has a tremendous upside, but is is just a guy that I don't even know if he's coming back or not. This guy, Ken Anderson. Ken Anderson allegedly re-signed with TNA. He got, he got the boot from WWE because of Randall. We all know that. Ken Anderson is another guy that knows how to work the mic. His matches are, are, are decent. They're decent. But Ken Anderson 
Yep, Ken Anderson got lazy. Thank you, Val. It's true, Ken Anderson got lazy, but he would he would he would do good in the WWE. He would because he's a solid mid card guy. He would fill out that mid card nicely. Bully Ray's another guy. Bully Ray's a guy that he's an incredible heel. Even if he came back with Devon and they did another run with the Dudleys and went into the Hall of Fame, that's fine. But even Bully Ray as a singles guy right now would would he's he's effective. He works. You got to look at the amount of heels that WWE has that are effective. They're a handful. Bully Ray is a throwback. A throwback guy. He channels a little bit of his inner ECW and then he, you know, he he spins it nicely. Jay says and, and Val both agree that they could they could kill, you know, Bully Ray would kill it in the WWE. It's that's the problem with TNA. TNA has so many good guys just under underneath underneath their fucking their blanket of mediocrity but they're too busy throwing money at hulk hogan like a cheap stripper during the daytime at a club that you don't you don't you don't realize the many the many talented guys that are under your roster think about it your aj styles your austin aries your christopher fucking daniels ridiculous but no you know no we 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 can't do that we can't even even Kenny King, Kenny King is solid. You know, it's it's fucking ridiculous. Kenny King is a it came in from Ring of Honor, left Ring of Honor, comes into TNA, motherfuckers jerking the curtain, comes out, gets jobbed out on the regular. Why? I don't know. Saban, Saban's another guy. Yeah, he might get creamed in the WWE. He might get killed, but Saban's wrestling top notch, like. Triple H has talked about, oh, we got to bring up the tag team division. Saban and fucking Shelly in the WWE would be fucking Hardy Boys 2.0. Saban and Shelly in the WWE would be a fucking problem. They would be a problem. And any anybody that looks at their fucking tag work, forget it. Young Bucks, the same thing. The Young Bucks are tremendous. The only problem with the Young Bucks is that they're fucking small. They're super small. But but you could get those guys over like this in a heartbeat. No, we're not gonna do that. You know, it's it, it's it's crazy. Saban and Shelley would destroy in the tag team division if WWE gave them a chance. They would kill it. They would fucking kill it. Simple as that. Anyway, let me get into the rest of the wrestling news for this week. So before Monday, the Shield were the fifth longest reigning WWE Tag Team Champions of all time. Obviously, before Monday, WWE listed their top five and think and look at this list. And the reason I'm I'm, I'm mentioning this is because there's some solid teams on this list that really made me feel nostalgic when I read it. Obviously, Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins came in at number five at 147 days. Team Hell No came in at 245 days. The Miz and John Morrison came in at 250 days. The Colons, which were at the time Primo and Carlito, came in at 280 days. Which, not for nothing, I miss fucking Carlito. Carlito was another guy, um, tremendous potential, probably would have been a, a face, again, another Latino star. And I don't know, some people say he got lazy, other people say that the WWE just stopped giving a fuck. But him and Primo, they were fucking killing it. And of course, London and Kendrick were number one, um, two guys that I, I've always liked watching, uh, Brian Kendrick, tremendous talent, even though he's a pothead, fuck it, you know, at 331 days, uh, London and Kendrick, fuck it, you know, smoke a little weed, whatever, 
Those guys, amazing to watch. Fucking amazing. London and Kendrick were were bananas. They were fucking bananas. Those guys, they'd go out and they'd have phenomenal fucking matches. It, it would blow my mind. I'd be like, oh, these dudes, they're killing it. Why the fuck aren't they... Why aren't they over more so? But, you know, it's what happens. But uh, I'm very impressed that Reigns and Rollins, they believed, them, they believed in them enough that, that they really let them hold it for, you know, 150 days is pretty fucking good. All right, so switching gears, get your wallets ready. October 29th, WWE's Money in the Bank Anthology. I need a drink. So, the anthology drops October 29th, and you're probably saying to yourself, why do I want this anthology? Well, allow me to share some matches that will get your attention. The first ever Money in the Bank ladder match with Chris Jericho, Chris Benoit, Shelton Benjamin, Edge, Christian, and Kane from WrestleMania 21, April 3rd, 2005. First of all, Chris Benoit on a fucking DVD. Just saying. Second of all, Jericho, Benoit, Benjamin, Edge, Christian, and Kane. Bananas. Here's, here's, a, here's another one. Ric Flair, Rob Van Dam, Shelton Benjamin, Matt Hardy, Finley, and Bobby Lashley. WrestleMania 22. Again, j- those two matches alone. Ric Flair in a fucking ladder match. That's all I'm saying. Ric fucking Flair. Here's another, another gem. Jeff Hardy, King Booker, Finley, CM Punk, Mr. Kennedy, Matt Hardy, Randy Orton, and Edge. That was when you got, I believe, CM Punk ate the RKO off the ladder. Another one. Another gem. Jericho, Benjamin, John Morrison, Carlito, CM Punk, MVP, and Mr. Kennedy. WrestleMania 24, March 30th, 2008. And, and there's a lot of good ones with fucking MVP, too. CM Punk, Kofi Kingston, MVP, Finley, Christian, Kane, Shelton Benjamin, and Mark Henry. WrestleMania 25, 2009. Tremendous. Now, this match, I totally forgot about this uh, Money in the Bank match. Kane, Christian, Kofi, MVP, Matt Hardy, Shelton Benjamin, Evan Bourne, Drew McIntyre, Jack Swagger, and Dolph Ziggler. First of all, I totally forgot Drew McIntyre was even in a Money in the Bank ladder match to begin with. Second of all, that he was in a match with Matt Hardy and Shelton Benjamin and MVP. Like, holy shit, has Drew McIntyre been there that fucking long? Yes, that was a clusterfuck indeed. The SmackDown Money in the Bank, which was Big Show, Kane, Kofi, Christian, Matt Hardy, McIntyre, Ziggler, and Cody Rhodes is on there. Also... Randy Orton, John Morrison, Evan Bourne, Mark Henry, Edge, Chris Jericho, The Miz, and Ted DiBiase. That was from Money in the Bank, July 18th, 2010. Now, this match, eh, not one of the better ones, but still a solid one. Kane, Sin Cara, Daniel Bryan, Sheamus, Wade Barrett, Cody Rhodes, Justin Gabriel, and Heath Slater. Remember that shit? Heath Slater was in a Money in the Bank ladder match. Heath fucking Slater. I kid you not. Another one that, that tripped me out. Rey Mysterio, Kofi, Alex Riley, Evan Bourne, Alberto Del Rio, The Miz, 
R-Truth and Jack Swagger. That was from 2011. Another gem. 2012, Christian, Sin Cara, Santino, Tyson Kidd, Cody, Dolph Ziggler, Tenzai, and Damian Sandow. I, I, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I don't even know what to say for that. I got nothing. But I will tell you this. If you bag the Blu-ray set, you'll get this exclusive. They got Edge cashing in on John Cena from New Year's Revolution 2006. You got Rob Van Dam cashing in on John Cena at ECW One Night Stand. Edge cashing in on The Undertaker on SmackDown 2007. CM Punk cashing in on Edge and CM Punk cashing in on Jeff Hardy also on there. As was Jack Swagger cashing in on Chris Jericho and Kane cashing in on Rey Mysterio. Lastly, The Miz cashing in on Randy Orton. Del Rio, of course, cashing in on Punk. Brian on The Big Show. Cena on Punk and Ziggler on Del Rio from Raw April 8th, 2013. So if you want to pick this up, definitely pick up the Blu-ray set so you get some of those um, some of those matches. The cash-ins are on the Blu-ray. On the Blu-ray, they're Blu-ray exclusives. So if you want to pick that up, definitely um, pick up the Blu-ray if you can. Just a quick reminder, if you're going to buy it, go through the MTR Amazon store. helps us out. Helps us get a couple of bucks in, of course, to add improvements to the show. So definitely look it up through our Amazon store and you'll be able to pick it up that way. Of course, takes you straight to Amazon, gets their reliable, uh, the good old reliable Amazon service. And of course, helps us out in the process. All right. So Val asked earlier on in the segment, when is WWE going to do away with PG? This bit of news was put out by the Wrestling Observer and WrestleZone. And the reason that I'm saving this for the end of the wrestling segment is because this answers Val's question. In 2008, WWE's total revenue from corporate sponsorship was $7.4 million. Stay with me now. 2008, $7.4 million. After that, the company obviously switched to the PG product. And this year, this year, WWE's total revenue from corporate sponsorships is expected to be $20 million. Let that sink in one second. $20 million in total revenue for this year. 2008, $7 million. Now, 20 million. Translation, kids make parents spend money. That's what it translates to. Let's, let's, let's think about this. We all love the Attitude Era. Grew up on it. Watched Raw every night. Loved it. Had a DX Suck It shirt. I think I still have a Chris Benoit Rabbit Wolverine shirt in my closet, which, if I do, I think I'm going to wear it on air when I do the next live show. Uh, Goldberg shirt, Big Papa Pump, Freakzilla, all, you know, the Attitude Era, all that crazy shit. Now, think about it. John Cena, Happy Go Lucky, yeah. You know, you don't really have though that risque stuff. It's, it's not happening. And the reasoning is, number one, because that was lightning in a bottle. I've said it before. It was lightning that, that just struck and everything just fucking exploded. 
you had WCW, you had ECW, you had Raw. Everybody was putting on great matches. There was blood. There was violence. There were boobies on screen. Fucking Sable wearing pasties when she fucking took off her shirt. Oh, it was great. Can't do that shit now. There's a couple of reasons why you can't do that shit now. Number one, the the newer generation of television watchers are complete pussies. They will be offended immediately. The Godfather bringing out hoes. 1998, all good. 2013, oh my goodness, this guy, he's coming out and they're promoting prostitution on my television. That's what happens. That's where we go wrong. In, 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 in 1998 through like 2000, bra and panty matches, um, Santa's Little Helper matches, the Gravy Bowl match. Now, you get a wardrobe malfunction, that should get screen captured, put on Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest. Oh my God, my son saw a booby. He's offended. Hello? Hello? There was a breast on television. Come on not happening it's not happening we all want it so badly but you know what i'd rather you leave it alone i'd rather be nostalgic yep that was jay that was and it wasn't intentional i just had to think of an old woman accent and that's the first accent that came to mind anyway seriously night the era from 1998 to like 2008 was phenomenal but you will never get that. We will never get that again. So what we need to do is focus on the now PG era. What can we give the PG era that stands out? I got a, I got a great one for you. Good matches, real wrestling, better stories. Give us that. And we will not reference the attitude era as much. That's it. That is it. Think about it. Everybody talks about the Attitude Era because that's what it was. That's okay. It was the era of of Attitude. It was the era of In Your Face. It was the era of Fuck You Authority. Can't do that anymore. You can't. Because, again, the newer newer generation, fucking pussies. Pussies. That's, That's what it is. You show a booby. Oh, oh my God, my son, he's... No. Think about it. Show a booby. Get offended. Call somebody an asshole. Oh, can't say asshole. You can't say asshole. Okay, can't say bitch either. All right. But, you know, you you look on NBC, you look on CBS, you look on Channel 7, somebody gets... Think about this. You can't show... You, you can't show blood. Yet, you watch... You watch Hannibal on NBC... And you're like, what the fuck is going on? Think about it. You look at Hannibal on NBC. It's given fairly early. And you can show blood there. But if somebody bleeds at 8.30, oh no. No blood. Can't have that. Quick, switch to black and white. Like black and white is going to do anything different. Oh look, he's bleeding. Seriously. Don't get me wrong. There's a lost art with a blade job when you're when you cut yourself and you're bleeding for those of you that are tuning in that don't know wrestling terms a well-placed blade job well-placed blood 
has its place in wrestling. It does. But again, don't overuse it, but but make it mean something. If 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 you fucking crack somebody with a chair, they should bleed. That's just logic. But, you know, they also changed the way that the chair shots are done. Most of them are done in the back. There's no chair shots to the head anymore. If I remember correctly, I, rem- I think Randy Orton and CM Punk were fined for a chair shot to the head. So, yeah. All right. Fine. But it's true. If there's if there's certain things, you know, chair shots to the head, not a problem. But I'm talking about other things. Like, if you throw a guy headfirst into a turnbuckle that's exposed, he should bleed. This is logic. If I hit you with the fucking ring bell and the head, you should bleed. That is logic. Triple H hits you with a sledgehammer. First of all, you should be dead. But that's a that's a separate issue. But you should bleed. My God, Triple H hit him with the sledgehammer. No. And it's true, the Undertaker and Triple H used chair shots to the head and that was frowned upon. That's right. That is true. Thank you, Jay, for that reminder. That is very true. And that's what I'm saying. Like, like we'll never get that magic anymore. But what we have to do is build up the PG product enough that you can say, oh, man, you know, the Attitude Era was awesome, but PG's given us some some tremendous matches. Unfortunately, that's not that's not what we're getting. It's not. And the chair shots of the head is true, uh, 491. Head injuries, no joke. I mean, Chris Nowitzki talking about concussions and all that stuff. I agree. Chair shots to the head, not a problem. Hey, we're going to do away with them. They're no good. Cool. But if I hit you with a fucking ring bell, you should be fucking bleeding. That's it. Because I'm hitting you with a ring bell in your fucking head. Bleeding. Hello. Let's get, let's, let's, come on. Come on. You should be dead. Yes, you should. You should be dead. But it's true. If it, it, same thing with the ladder shots. Thank you, Val. You hit, you hit somebody with a ladder. They're gonna bleed. Listen, I'm not telling you that I need a Ric Flair blade job that looks like like a like a like a soaked tampon. I don't need a soaked tampon blade job, but I need a blade job that yo, you know. Oh man, he got hit with the bell. He's he's bleeding a little bit. I don't need crimson mask, but you know I. We need we need something. It's true. I don't I don't need you know tampon. I don't need that. Don't need a weak old tampon bleeding. Don't need that. But where where there should be blood, there should be. It's the same thing with with some of these like hell in the cell. If I'm raking your face on on the cell, you should be fucking bleeding. Period. Oh no, can't have that. What was the last match that had like good like like legit bloodshed? Was it Brock Lesnar and Triple H? Was it Brock Lesnar and Triple H that had like the last the last like legit bleeding where they showed it on Raw and it was in black and white? Was it that match or was it Ryback and Cena? I'm 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 sure that that Triple H and and Lesnar there was some blood in that match. Yep. Cena and Brock had blood on the pay-per-view. Thank you, Jay. But but that's what I'm saying. Like, there's certain things that just from a logistic standpoint, look, I'm not telling you to bleed every week, but there should be some, you want to tell the story and you like, if you're having a match in Hell in the Cell, 
I expect motherfuckers to bleed. Not because I want them to, but just logic. That's all. Like I said, I don't need crimson mask, but well-placed bloodshed. It works. It works. That's it. <laughs> no, no, no. The, the the only bull that wants to see red would be the little guy that comes out with Los Matadors. Otherwise, no. But but seriously, I, I, I'm not even saying I want to see bloodshed. I'm just trying to, to, to keep it within the confines of storytelling. You know? And, and to answer your question, I heard about the memo for the announcers, Jay. The only reason I didn't discuss the memo that allegedly was leaked was because I didn't really know the validity of that because nobody stepped out as a wrestler and said, hey, you know, that seems legit. So I was a little unsure. I was a little unsure. That's why I didn't go into that. But with regards to the to the whole bleeding thing, I just I'm just talking about it from certain aspects from a storytelling standpoint. Like if you're having a match in Hell in a Cell, and you could throw a little blood in there and and you know, you don't want to you could throw a little blood in there and it won't bother anybody. I'm not saying, "Hey, bleed at 8 o'clock, but hell in a cell, some somebody should should be leaking." Period. Just because, you know, I'm going to rub your face on the cell. Oh, you don't bleed. How's that? Is your skin made of fucking aluminum foil? Like, what's happening? (sighs) Anyway, that's going to wrap up this week's wrestling segment. Let's get into some gaming news for this week, shall we? So... This past weekend, of course, was Comic-Con, and um, no, we didn't go. And for those of you that know, they just they, they just hate us. Comic-Con hates us for the last two years. I don't know why. I didn't do a macho man and sleep with Vince's daughter, so it wasn't anything like that. I just don't understand what the deal is. But that's no here or there. Um, a lot of people did go that I'm friends with, and they shared a lot of cool stuff. A lot of people also said that Comic-Con sucked. Uh, it's it's up for debate. It is what it is. But um, yes, Val. Allegedly, that did happen. But um, <laughs> you know, the thing the thing that gets me is um, yep. Allegedly, that's why Randy Savage won't go into the Hall of Fame, guys, because him and Stephanie McMahon did the old uh, waddle doodle grease man. You know, a little bit of a little bit of a little bit of uh, you know, ooh yeah. It makes you start thinking, thinking the Macho King plowing Vince McMahon's daughter. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> I haven't done a Macho Man voice in fucking ages. <laughs> oh, shit. I, thank you, guys. Thank you for that. I, that... It, it, it it helped me feel really good that I got to break out the fucking Macho Man. I haven't done a Macho Man voice in a while because and Macho Man's voice is is amazing. Anyway, so um, Activision and Marvel unveiled the Amazing Spider-Man Two game being developed by Beanox. Of course, they did the original Amazing Spider-Man game, which uh, Slick reviewed and also did some gameplay footage for uh, early on when we were doing stuff on the YouTube channel. But um, <laughs> fucking Jay 
Thank you, Jay. Thank you. Um, here's the thing. The, the movie games, the Spider-Man movie games, they're, they're pretty solid. The Amazing Spider-Man was really good. Um, Slick really enjoyed it. And they unveiled the second one. It looks a, a, a lot better graphically, free roaming. Um, the enhanced cityscape looks fantastic. And they showed a teaser trailer at Comic-Con, which was, which was pretty good. But again, it's Spider-Man swinging around New York, fucking people up. Eh, it is what it is. A new assassin was unveiled for Batman Arkham Origins, and that is the Electrocutioner. The character originally appeared in 1992, and he was created by uh, Chuck Dixon, which, um, you know, he has an electrified suit, and he will be voiced um, by Stephen Bloom, who voiced Wolverine in the Deadpool game. Of course, uh, Batman Arkham City Origins will be out later on this month. And of course, Arkham Origins will be launching on mobile platforms, but Arkham Origins will also be available on iOS platforms as well. And the cool thing is that you'll be able to sync your mobile account with your console to unlock the Superman Red Sun skin for Batman Arkham Origins. Again, that game hits stores um, for the Wii U, PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, and PC on October 25th. So there you go. Announced also last week, besides what we saw at the Square Enix event, was the next Kingdom Hearts game, which was announced at the D23 Expo, and that's Kingdom Hearts HD 2.5 Remix. Of course, that's a follow-up to Kingdom Hearts HD 1.5 Remix, and that game will be out next year. It's going to be a fully remastered HD compilation of Kingdom Hearts 2 Final Mix and the PSP Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep Final Mix. Of course, both games were previously released exclusively to the Japanese market, but they will be released for the PlayStation 3. And also, they're going to add theatrical cutscenes from the Nintendo DS game Kingdom Hearts recoded as well. So there you go, Kingdom Hearts fans. You'll be able to pick that up next year. A lot of my fellow gamers were really, really bummed. Um, Watch Dogs is being delayed and will now be released in spring 2014. The game originally was set to be released on November 19th in North America and November 22nd in Europe, but they've decided to push that back as well as the release of the crew. Obviously, they want to try and tweak the game and make it look better, and sometimes I... Look, freaking delays, they suck. They suck, especially when you're hyped for a game, but turns out that maybe it's better that they take their time, they polish it, and you get a better game for you know, from the work being put in. So I feel bad, you know, slick is bummed. He was looking forward to it. Now, now he's got to try and figure out what he's going to play when it drops. But when the PS three launches, but you know, spring 2014, it'll come, it'll come very quick. And, uh, who knows? Maybe it'll be better. It'll be better with regards to the delay. Of course, the big title, that dropped was Pokemon XY. Our very own Slick is playing it. I know a lot of our listeners are playing it. Uh, game has already sold more than 4 million units on October 12th and 13th between Japan, Europe, and the Americas. It's just been a tremendous response. The game's uh, sold 70% more than Pokemon Black 2 and White 2, which were released during the same time. So there you have it. Pokemon X and Pokemon Y off to an amazing start. Record-breaking, 4 million units on October 12th and 13th. But again, those numbers are combined 
Japanese, European, and American numbers. There you go. Well, this is the this is the big one. The MPD numbers for the month of September. Uh, Slick is telling me that the line for Pokemon XY at the Rockefeller Center launch wrapped around the Nintendo store and it was longer than the Wii line. Definitely not shocked about that. Thank you for that. Slick actually did go um, to the launch for Pokemon X and Y, so he can definitely vouch uh, and give you guys a first-person account. I heard it was fucking crazy. And, um, you know, Nintendo Nintendo puts out good shit, man. I, I when, when they apply themselves, they do give us good shit. Anyway, let's talk MPD numbers. So, MPD numbers for the month of September were, were very, very promising. Of course, um, sales in the retail sector went up 27%. Um, that's an increase that brings it to 1.7 billion versus 848 million last year. The majority of the boosted income came, of course, from the GTA sales, uh, physical sales for console and portable software was a 52% increase from the prior year and, uh, hardware sales were, you know, they were definitely higher, but not that high. The Nintendo 3DS spent its fifth month as the best selling console on the hardware side of things, Wii U sales increased as well, more than 200% from August, but Nintendo did not give specific numbers. Meanwhile, PlayStation 3 actually broke Xbox 360 streak of being the best-selling console for the period. So, PlayStation 3 beats Xbox 360 as the number one selling home console. Of course, one of the big reasons for that was the GTA 5 bundle, which um, Liam Callahan from the MPD did share. With regards to the accessories, uh, gift cards, digital currency vouchers, Disney and Skylander uh, figures um, were essentially, yeah, they were pretty flat, only a 2% increase. But I will say this, the games that showed up in the top 10 for the MPD this month, some of them are just not surprising. Let's start with number 10, and that's Saints Row 4. Available on the 360, PS3, and PC. Minecraft 360 Edition was number 9. NHL 14 was number 8. Disney Infinity was number 7. Excuse me. Kingdom Hearts HD 1.5 was uh, number 6. FIFA 14 was number 5. Diablo 3 was number 4. NBA 2K 14 was number 3. Madden NFL 25 was number 2. And the big one... Drum roll, please. GTA 5, which, of course, when you sell a billion fucking dollars worth of of, of software, it's a no brainer that GTA 5 would be number one. And I have a nagging suspicion that GTA 5 will be number one this month as well, especially now that the online component has launched. I see GTA 5 remaining number one this month as well. Now, now the thing that kills me is. Slick thinks Pokemon. I look, Pokemon is a great franchise. Will it make a billion dollars? That's a that's a big boast, man. That's a big boast. I, I'm not sure. I am not sure. But you know what? I'll make a note of it. Slick says Pokemon will dethrone GTA next month. You know, well, well, this month I should say when the numbers get released next month. We'll see what the deal is. I know a lot of you know. Activision and, and, you know, the, the Call of Duty uh, makers are saying that Call of Duty is going to be the one that's going to dethrone GTA and hit a billion dollars and break the record. 
Again, I don't know. That's th- that's a very, very big boast. Think about it. I kicked down your door. I said, yo, I made a billion dollars. What are you going to do? Sure, Pokemon is probably the, co- the, the game that comes the closest. But to come and say, oh, Call of Duty is going to come. And, and, uh, yes, Call of Duty will make a billion dollars. Will it make it in three days? No. Not happening. It, it, it's impossible. It's impossible. Yeah, you could say, oh, but new consoles are coming out. It's no. No. In three days? In less than five? Even four days? Yeah. You know, I think, I think GTA, you know, GTA will hold the top spot probably up until the new consoles come out in November and then something may come along that's going to, that's just going to wreck shop. But in terms of, I'm talking about money, number one slot, I feel it's going to hold on this month, but November, probably GTA will get knocked off because there's going to be a lot more first party stuff and, and new stuff that's going to come out with the new systems that may lead to it getting uh, knocked off the number one slot. But I'm going to take, I'm going to take what Slick says and I'm going to, I'm going to note it. I'm definitely going to note it that Pokemon will be number one for the month of October. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to leave it at that. If Slick is right, I will definitely make sure to give him his props. But if GTA is still number one, it is what it is. Anyway, that's going to wrap up this week's gaming segment. Let's get into some entertainment news, shall we? My Take Radio's entertainment segment is brought to you by Ripped Apparel, makers of so many kick-ass pop culture shirts, including this very awesome Doctor Who shirt that I got done in the Mega Man style. You can pick up any of these great shirts that I've worn on air, either when they get re-released on Ripped, or you can check out the Ripped shirts that we share on our Facebook fan page every day, as well as on the site. Again, if you pick up a RIP shirt on the site, it definitely helps out MTR, so do yourselves a favor. If we share any designs, either click our links or check out the banners on the site and pick up a shirt. Helps us out, allows us to get cooler shit, better cameras, better equipment. That's it. RIP the apparel again. <laughs> Why is Strider saying I have Barack Obama hair? What the fuck, dude? It's not that gray. Holy shit. <laughs> Fucking Strider, I swear. Strider comes in and just drops a pipe bomb as soon as he comes into the room. Yes, my hair has shades of gray in it. This gray birthmark that's up here I've had since I was a kid. I don't know, I don't know what the hell it is. Yes, my hair is turning whiter because of stress. And I'll be honest when I tell you guys that I'd like it to finish turning gray. I really would. I'd like to wake up. And just have my hair be completely gray so I look like a giant jacked up Q-tip. That's what I want to look like. Just a, a big round head of white hair. Because I hate the whole salt and pepper shit. Nothing is more discouraging than somebody going, Oh yeah, you know, the young guy, young Hispanic guy, he has uh, salt and pepper hair. I want to wake up and look like fucking WikiLeaks guy. 
I want to wake up and have hair like Anderson fucking Cooper. I kid you not. This salt and pepper shit for the birds. Definitely don't want that. Super white. Want to wake up super like like fucking eight and a half by 11 college ruled paper white. Bright as shit. This, this bi-colored shit, not the move. Definitely not. I'm not a fan, trust me. My uh, my wife says that if my hair, you know, if my hair is completely white, she's like, you better dye that shit. I'm like, I'm not dying nothing. That shit's going to stay white. I'm going to walk out of my house on some Anderson Cooper shit. Jay Santi says Boricua Claws. Yes, that's it. Bringing you cans of Goya every Christmas. Anyway, let's get into let's get into the entertainment news for this week, you fucking guys, I swear. I blame you, Strider. You see what you started? I blame you. Anyway. All right. So this bit of entertainment news definitely is in the what the fuck movie news category. And we talked about this, I'd like to say about a year ago. If you guys remember, I said that they were planning to do a movie about Stretch Armstrong. Stretch Armstrong was going to get a movie. And, um, yeah, Stretch Armstrong was going to get a movie. And guess what? Not happening. The Hollywood Reporter actually said that Relativity, Relativity Media has announced that they're no longer working with Hasbro on the Stretch Armstrong film. It was originally set to be released April 11th, 2014. Relativity actually released a statement. <laughs> you guys in the chat room are fucking killing me tonight. Stretch Armstrong is an incredible character who will make an amazing movie. And we know that Hasbro has some new ideas they're looking at. Relativity and Hasbro have a tremendous relationship and we decided to focus on other projects. We look forward to continuing to work together in the near future. Now, I think Relativity Media woke up and realized that if they made a Stretch Armstrong movie, Boo! Boo! That's, that's pretty much the response they were going to get. I'm, I'm serious. Stretch Armstrong, let's, let's talk about this. I'm an 80s baby. We all know this. We've talked about being 80s babies. And there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff. I remember James Bond Jr. Remember that? Do you guys remember James Bond Jr.? That was, you know, sure. Young James Bond as a movie? Eh, no problem. But think about it. Let's think about all the great shit that would, that, that would make better movies than Stretch Armstrong. Pirates of Dark Water would make a solid movie. Goltar and the Golden Lance would make a solid movie. Uh, Mask. Mask would be an awesome fucking movie. Bionic 6. Thank you, Jay Santi. That, Bionic 6 would probably be a movie that if Disney put it out, they would make a fuckload of money. Silverhawks. Thank you, Strider. All solid movies. Mask. Centurions. Centurions would be... A, a, imagine Centurions on the big screen... Oh, it would be, it would be, it would be that the ridiculousness would be unparalleled. Just, oh, you know, calling down Skybolt. Oh, it would be, it would be fantastic. I, I'd, I'd go crazy. I would go crazy for, for a uh, Centurions movie on the big screen. Or Inhuman, Inhumanoids would be awesome too. I remember I had the, um, the guy that looked like a skeleton 
and his rib cage opened up, oh, it'd be fantastic. But seriously, Centurions was was fan fucking tastic. On the big screen, this shit. Terror and his cyborg companion hacker unleash their forces to conquer Earth. Only one force can stop this evil, a handful of brave men. In specially created exobrains, they can be transported anywhere to fuse with incredible assault weapon systems beamed down from the space station sky vault. Come on, that, that shit alone would be bananas. Centurions on the big screen would look great. But... Here's what happens. Hasbro, Hasbro is known for making tons of fucking toys and they turn all this stuff into, into great money. And then they say, oh, I know. Let's make a movie about the most obscure motherfucker that we don't, nobody gives a shit about. Who cares about Stretch Armstrong? Seriously. Stretch Armstrong, Stretch Armstrong is probably the lamest guy to make a movie about. I'd ra- you know what I liked? I liked Conan the Adventurer. Conan the Adventurer was badass when he would fight the Snake Men and they would use the star metal. Oh, that shit was bananas. The Conan shit? Oh, it had awesome toys. I remember I I was buying the toys left and right. Star metal and he had all his crew of guys and he'd fight the Snake Men. That shit would make an awesome Conan movie. Conan against the Snake Men with the star metal? Oh, come on. Or, like I said, Mask. Mask is a movie that if you put on the silver screen, all these automakers would make a shitload of money. Think about it. Think about Mask, all the different, all the different cars you got in Mask, and you give those licenses to GM and Ford and all these companies. We, nobody gives a shit that it'll be a Mustang that sprouts wings or whatever. People will just care about that it's Mask on the fucking silver screen. And this is what I'm saying. You look at all these great properties and you decide that you're going to go with Stretch Armstrong. I'd rather watch a movie about fucking SWAT cats. I'd rather watch SWAT cats on the fucking silver screen. Get out of here. Stretch Armstrong. You're you're insane. (laughs) Slick is not happy. He said, fuck you, SWAT cats is awesome. Dude, yeah, SWAT cats, but street sharks all day. Street street sharks? Ah, oh, come on, Jawsome. That the toys for that were so awesome, so insane, and so ridiculous that you just had to buy them. Look at look at Slick just on the on the hate train. <laughs> he is upset that I made fun of SWAT cats. Look, the fucking. SWAT cats with ninja masks and shit. The coolest thing. I hate it on the SWAT cats because think about it. You tell somebody, hey, we're going to make these cats that are going to fucking fly these cool mechanized fucking jets and shit. You pitch that to a studio. Well, then again, forget forget I said that. You pitch cats flying planes to a studio. They may just make the fucking movie. There you go. See? See? This is what you're going to do, Slick. I want you to go to California... And you're going to kick in a door and you're going to say, cats in flying planes, make that shit happen. You need Michael Bay explosions and and kids sound effects and all the, you, you need that. You need that. Thank you. If you could put Samuel L. Jackson on a, on a plane with fucking snakes and make that a movie, 
I cats flying jets, go for it. Go for it, Slick. That is your job. You are to go to Hollywood and sell them SWAT cats the movie. There you go. Fucking make give me an Earthworm Jim movie at this point. I'll take that. I will take that. <laughs> no, but seriously, seriously. Of all the stuff that you that that Hollywood decides to make movies of, you go with Stretch Armstrong. And and think about this. Think about move all the all the cartoons I discussed. And then we're going to talk about Cartoons that are guaranteed to make money on the big screen. And yeah, Transformers is is up there. G.I. Joe is up there. But the one that you know, if it's done right, will be swimming in fucking money is Voltron. We all know Voltron would make a fuckload of money. If it's done right, let's not kid ourselves if it's done right. Not some fucking bullshit, but I mean legitimately done right. Voltron would make a fuckload of money. Yes, Jay, Jay did say that. It's true. Voltron would probably be the next movie that I would bring to the silver screen. Because you could ride that wave of momentum that Transformers already started. And and you, and it, done right. Yep, like Pacific Rim. Thank you, Strider. Think about it. You need Robies. You need fucking Hagar. <laughs> My Robies is going to destroy Voltron. <laughs> You need that shit. You need Hagar. You need Prince Lotor. You need the king. You need you need fucking Karan yelling with the stupid mice. You need that shit. It can't be post-apocalyptic Earth and you un you unearth these mechanized lions, which was an original plot that they had talked about. I remember that I talked about that. I believe it was the last year or the year before, where they wanted to make it that it was a post-apocalyptic Earth. And the lions were buried around the planet and that these different individuals got the lions. No, no, we don't need all that. We don't need all that. You got to do like Pacific Rim. The first Robeast invasion happened in 2013. A group of space explorers found these mystical lions and decided to, to unearth them and form Voltron and defend Earth. Boom. Done. Easy peasy. It doesn't get any easier than that. Look, think about Pacific Rim. Nobody knew what the fuck that was. They just said, the first kaiju attack occurred in 2012. And it was just giant lobster monster shit destroying everything. And everybody was like, oh, that looks fucking insane. That's all you need. That's it. Think about the Godzilla trailer. You see how you show the Godzilla trailer? You have this awesome voiceover and Godzilla roars, and then you see him, and you fucking get a chubby the size of my fucking desk like this because it looks so awesome. And then all of a sudden, you realize, holy shit, Godzilla looks awesome. That's what you need for Voltron. You need, like, a voiceover where it's like, you know, Earth was in shambles after the first Robeast attack, and we realized we had to do something to strike back. You know, we had to strike back and do something. And then you just have the camera pan back and you just be like you just see Voltron forming the blazing sword. Oh, forget it. I'd fucking I'd die in this fucking chair. Like, just dead. I'd be dead. If it looked that awesome, oh, it'd be, it'd be it'd be over. It would be over. Slick would have to do the show from now on cuz it'd be like, "Yo, Rich Rich is dead. He died. Voltron looked awesome. He's dead. You'll never see him again." <laughs> 
Oh shit. Oh man. It's um it, you know, just just having a few laughs, but it's true. Speaking of Pacific Rim which we were talking about, uh Charlie Hunnam dropped out of 50 Shades of Grey. He said that, you know, it was just like they're saying that he got cold feet. Some people are saying that he didn't want that shit to be his his showgirls. They actually said that he was afraid that would be his showgirls. Um, some people said that he was afraid of the celebrity if the movie worked out. So there you have it. Fifty Shades of Grey has no lead. And they're saying that the female lead is is on the fence as well. Here, here's the problem. Here's the problem with that movie. The subject matter in that movie is, look, I saw a girl reading Fifty Shades of Grey and she legitimately had her box up against the up against the pole in the train like any book that would have a girl legitimately just rubbing her vagina on a fucking pole on a tra- on a train like legitimately like she's reading leaning forward but her box she's like like the train would move around and shit and and she would just be reading it with the cover folded back and you could see that you know when when you fold the cover of a book back like this and it just keeps the shape for so long because you don't want people to see that you're reading a book that basically is is a porno that's literary skinamax thank you val it's like it's like she's reading it and she's just like just biting her lip and read i'm like yo we get it we get it we get it the book the book makes you fucking moist like what are you doing i got it so it was funny because i saw this on the train and i came home and I was like, yo, what's up with this book? And when I came home, I, my wife was said to me, she's like, yeah, everybody's talking about it. It's a, and she told me what the book was about. I'm like, of course, of course, it's about some old, some sex and shit. No wonder this chick, and she was a young chick. She probably late 20s, early 30s, just, just, just lip biting, rubbing. I'm like, yo, really? Like, yo, people touch the, the, the pole on the subway. Like people are holding that shit with with sweaty hands, non hand washing motherfuckers holding the train, and and you're 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 fucking all up on it like like dying and shit. Come on, listen. This is this is what how I feel about this. They felt, look, Twilight, Hunger Games, all these books get converted to films. Harry Potter, they make a lo- fuck loads of money. So Hollywood figures, oh, this book, all the women like it. So we need to, you know, we need to get this to the silver screen. Here's the problem with this book. It's not, it's not getting it to the silver screen. It's getting it to the silver screen and recreating the, the, the sexuality of the book to grab audiences. It's true. It's like, you can't make it like eyes wide shut or, or, or whatever other you know, sexually charged, like, like you can't, you can't do basic instinct and 50 shades of gray the same way. You know what I mean? Like basic instinct was sexual, hardcore, just, it pulled no punches. If you want this movie to work, it's gotta be the same way. And this guy, you're taking a guy that pretty much did sons of anarchy Pacific Rim, and I think he has like one or two other movies, but he's not the type of guy. He's a TV guy. He's a TV guy, and you want this TV guy to jump into this role that millions of women are gonna are gonna be 
going to see this shit, pining for this guy. And I think I think the pressure was too much. The pressure was too fucking much for the guy. I don't blame him. And then allegedly they're saying that for him to do this movie, they offered him $125,000 for the role. I don't know how true that is, but they're saying that it was $125,000 and that he had issues with, with the money. He had issues with the money. He wanted creative control. It's it's crazy. Uh, exactly, Val. $125,000 is what they're saying. Now think about this. You're going to do a movie that's based on a book that is incredibly sexually charged. There might be some nudity. There might be, you know, there might be some stuff in this book that, that may get you into some trouble. There's three volumes, three volumes of this book. And the subject matter, you know, as, as, you know, as, as hardcore as it's implied to be as an actor, you got to go out there and it's like, yo, there's bondage. There's, you know, all kinds of sexual situations that are implied. You, you, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big fucking deal, especially when they want to get the first movie out by August 1st, 2014. You know, listen, I don't, I don't have a problem with the movie being done, but you also have to look at the fact that you have to cast actors that are seasoned. You got to chart, you got to cast seasoned actors. You can't, you, you can't get a guy that sons of anarchy, Pacific rim, 50 shades of gray, hardcore motorcycle flick, robots, punching monsters in the face, titty sprinkles. And I thank you, Slick. That's that's what it is. We're going to do bondage. We're going to do Pacific Rim and then bondage. No. You need you need more established actors or you need actors that are fearless. Like everybody said, Matthew Bomer from um, White Collar, a guy who I feel is a tremendously underrated actor who I feel also doesn't get the the the, the good Hollywood roles. Because because he's gay. That guy needs a breakout role. I felt that that Matt Bomer should have played Superman. And allegedly he read for the part. And I feel that he didn't get cast because he was gay. Great actor. A great actor. He's he's a solid think about this. Matt Bomer, Charlie Hunnam for Fifty Shades of Grey. It's like two different types of guys. Two different you know. It's it's weird. Yeah, you see what Val Val says he didn't get cast because he would have had to gain 150 pounds. All right. It's funny though because he read for the role and and for me I've always felt that the guy the guy he voiced Superman in one of the animated films. And it's like I just I felt he had that it factor. I did. And funny oddly enough there were a couple of articles that came out that said, you know, that that they were concerned about Superman being associated with with you know with an actor whose sexual preference wasn't the quote unquote Americana ideal. Again, all speculation, all speculative. I I had no problem with the guy that played Superman. I got no problem with it. But you know, Bomer Bomer's a solid actor, and I just feel he never gets good roles. May uh, there's so many different people putting out. Stuff on Twitter and Facebook that say that he should do it. Uh, Jay Santy uh, said Alexander Skarsgård, which is another guy 
He that that guy that guy I always felt was a shoe in to play Thor because he was just tall and Nordic looking. Obviously, that's not what they were going for, but he might probably get it because he's used to being fucking naked and True Blood running around getting himself into trouble. Anyway, all right, let's not beat up Fifty Shades of Grey any further. Anyway, guy dropped out. The other chick, which is Dakota Johnson, the other lead, she's she's on the fence because of the whole fame thing. Eh, who knows? We'll see how it pans out. Obviously, once the casting is announced, I'll make sure to let you guys know because I know some, some of you guys will probably get dragged to see this movie by your significant others. Don't even front. Don't even fucking front because you will. Some of you will. I don't care what you say. You could be in the chat room right now, keyboard warriors. Nah, man, my girl ain't getting me to go. My girl is definitely not getting me to see that shit. And this is fact. This is fact. She wanted to go see, what was the movie with Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper? Jennifer, what the hell was it? I think it was, um, it won an award recently. She wanted me to go take her to see it. I was like, nope, you could go with your homegirls to see it. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Silver Linings Playbook. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Oh, can you... T- nope, not doing it. Shit came out on on Blu-ray. She's like, oh, you want to watch it? Nope. Nope. Can't do it. Can't. Can't do romances. Can't do it. I'm sorry. I, I just can't. It's it's weird for me. There, I, I think the only... here Here's one. Remember Knocked Up? I watched Knocked Up because it was... I thought it was funny. Then I saw it and I realized Knocked Up is a, a, a chick flick disguised as a comedy. You, you know, I just, I, I can't. I, I don't know what it is. And it's not even, oh, Rich is, a, is, is being an alpha male or some shit. I just, I can't do romances. I can't do them. I can't. I, you know, it, it's just, it's too sappy for me. I don't know. I mean, some people are going to be like, ah, yeah, see, Bridesmaids was another one. Yep, you were right, Strider. It, it, Bridesmaids was another movie gift-wrapped as a comedy. Like, yeah, yeah, I want to go see this shit. Then you go see it, and you're like, really? Like, yo, I watched Knocked Up at home, and I was like, fuck. Yeah, Bridesmaids had its moments, but what I'm saying is Bridesmaids was still a chick flick disguised as a comedy. Slick says Bridesmaids was hysterical. Eh, I wouldn't go that far. The shitting scene was funny. I laughed at the shitting scene, and I laughed at the chick stealing the fucking dogs at the end. I haven't seen This Is 40 yet, but... Yeah, well, no, no, no. It's not even that I'm not a big comedy fan. It's just... I'm very selective with comedy movies. Like, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Can watch that shit a thousand fucking times. Uh, Clerks. I could watch that shit a thousand fucking times. Dogma. Same thing. Um, the Jackass movies were amusing. Like I laughed. You know that's that's what I mean. Like, like it's it my 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 appreciation of comedy is very strange because I watch like like crazy shit. Like I find some of the crazy like. Like, a lot of people are like, oh, The Other Guys was super funny. I thought The Other Guys was okay. I referenced it a lot. But it didn't jump out at me as, holy shit, this movie's mind-blowingly funny. It was alright. But it wasn't... Like, I'm weird with the comedy shit. Like, I don't know. It's not that I don't like comedies. I I love them. But I'm just very, very... Like, you know what's funny? 
Blades of Glory. See, yeah, Gators bitches better be using jimmies. You see, those are movies you watch and you quote a lot. Same thing with Anchorman. Anchorman was funny, but I found myself, I found myself quoting Anchorman more than than like, oh my god, this movie was funny. Like those are movies that are funny in a quotable way. But I'm talking about a movie that as soon as it starts to as soon as it's over, you fucking laugh your balls off. Like Blades of Glory. I remember I watched Blades of Glory thinking, oh. Will Ferrell and Napoleon Dynamite. This shit's going to be off the wall funny. Is that right? I came away like, really? Like, I watched that shit? Yeah, see, like, Blazing Saddles. Yes. Like, Blazing Saddles is some shit that you watch. You're just like, ha, ha, ha. You know, like, that's, you know, it's it's fucking, that, that's what I'm talking about. You know, Eddie Murphy Raw, Beverly Hills Cop 1. Um, you know, uh, whatchamacallit. Office Space, I, I love Office Space, you know, dark comedy like that, uh, a lot of the, Spaceballs, Spaceballs is a movie I can watch on loop every fucking day, because it's so stupid, and I love it so much, a lot, yep, anything Mel Brooks does is fucking gold, thank you Strider, it's true, like, like I'm very weird with shit like that, like with comedies, like certain things, I'll watch, like, like Zoolander, Zoolander to me, festering dog shit, Oh, they're breakdance fighting. (laughs) So funny. Fuck you. 40-year-old virgin. Comedy disguised as a chick flick. Can't do it. I watched it once. I'm like, really? That was it? Like Like, the part where he got his chest waxed was the funniest shit. Other than that, I'm like, eh. Like, it's weird. People come in and they're like, yeah, man, 40-year-old virgin is fucking phenomenal. And then I watched it. I was like, that was it? Eh. So Strider says comedies are like horrors. You come in with an expectation and it falls flat. Yep. Like you know what I thought was was weird. Twenty one Jump Street. Twenty one Jump Street. I knew was gonna be dog. Sh- I felt it was dog shit going in. It was passably funny, just because fucking um, what's his face? Uh, C Tate's Channing Tatum was 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 funny. Was exactly see kind of funny. Ben Stiller in, in Dodgeball, tremendous, tremendous, old school, old school was funny because I hadn't been, I hadn't been immersed in Will Ferrell yet, and I didn't realize that I hated Vince Vaughn till like five movies later, but like old school was funny as shit to me, so I was like, wow, this movie's so stupid, now I watch a movie with Vince Vaughn, and I want to fucking slit my own wrist, like I want to, I don't even want to slice them this way, I want to do the long way and fucking bleed out, because it's so it's so fucking bad. It's, I, it's like, yo, fuck out of here. You know? Interns. Ugh. What a steaming, festering pile of shit that was. Interns was shit. Vince Vaughn was funny, and you know what Vince Vaughn was funny? Um, What the hell was the movie with him and John Favreau? Was that Swingers? If I'm right, Swingers with him and John Favreau was... No, I didn't watch Interns. No, sir, I did not. Swingers was Swingers was good. Like Vince Vaughn was all right in that again because I hadn't been ruined yet by by that. You know, I liked um, what the hell? It was the one where where Brad Pitt had the where he was the gypsy. Fuck, uh, what the hell is it called? And it had Jason Statham in it. I love that shit. Like the British humor was funny to me in that. Snatch. Thank you, Slick. 
Snatch, Snatch was good. I laughed. I found it amusing. Like, there were so many parts of that movie I found to be amusing. It just, um... Yeah, it wasn't a comedy, but it was just... Like, the situations made for, for comedy. It made for funny moments. Again, I'm not saying that that's the gold standard, but I like the movies that, are, that aren't that are funny in, like, a ha-ha-ha, jump-in-your-face funny. I like the, the subtle, you know, good good delivery. It makes it work. Like, everybody talks about, all oh, rich, you hate Adam Sandler. I don't hate Adam Sandler. I just hate new Adam Sandler. Like, old Adam Sandler shit, like Happy Gilmore... Um, Waterboy, any of his old shit was on point. Any of his new shit, I just want to set him on fire. Thank you, Waterboy is fucking fantastic. Like, it's so stupid. Yeah, movies that are funny that aren't trying to be funny. That's what I'm saying. Like, Waterboy was was ridiculous. Happy Gilmore, um, what the hell was the other one? There was another Sandler I really, really liked. I kind of like Big Daddy. Big Daddy was kind of cool. I like I like Big Daddy a little bit, even though it was kind of a feel-good movie. It had some funny moments. Billy Madison was amazing with him fucking just oh the fucking penguin like that. Not was the penguin. Billy Madison was the penguin. Yep. But that's what I'm saying. Like like old Sandler shit, funny as fuck. Old Eddie Murphy shit, amazing. Steve Martin. Steve Martin is a fucking douchebag. I hate him to death. But his old shit, oh man, the jerk, the jerk was a was a a, a gem. Chevy Chase, I like Fletch, um, National Lampoon, old old Chevy Chase, old Steve Martin shit was legit. Yes, I miss John Candy too, Slick. One of my favorites, Who's Harry Crumb, jo- John Candy classic. I love Who's Harry Who's Harry Crumb was my shit when he came in with the turban and he had the beard. And the chick had the mud and she was naked and, and the beard fell over her box and it looked like she had a bush. Ah, oh, it was fat. It was great. I love that stuff. Animal House, thank you. That's what I mean. I guess I guess my, my opinion of comedy, some people will say, oh, Rich, you know, you like all the dated shit. No, I like all the timeless shit. I like the shit that I could watch on a Thursday afternoon at 3 o'clock and laugh my balls off. On a Thursday afternoon now at 30, the same way I, at 33, the same way I laughed at it when it first came out. That's it. Oh, Revenge of the Nerds was great. I love like Ogre. Ogre was my dude. Nerds! Ogre is a uh, Steve Bomber. Ogre is so Steve Bomber now. It's, it's insane. Half-Baked was good. Um, Friday, like the first Friday was tremendous. I love the first Friday. I also grew up watching like black exploitation movies, so I liked I'm gonna get you sucker. I don't know if you guys have seen that. I'm gonna get you sucker is fucking ridiculously stupid, but I love it because it was it was right around the time when like Coffee and Sheba Baby and a lot of that stuff. I was watching that stuff as when in the '80s when I was a little older. Uh, you know all that old Pam Greer shit. I was watching all that stuff growing up. Growing up, loved it. Black Dynamite is a great example of that. Airplane, the first naked gun, the first one. The first naked gun was the shit. Everybody should have a friend like you and fucking OJ goes down on the wheelchair ah, and flies over. Oh, my God, I love that. Love that shit. But the newer comedies, like, like you got to pick them. You got to pick them. Like, you know what's funny? Everybody was like, oh, you know, um, what the hell is it? 
uh, Zombieland. Oh, Zombieland's going to be amazing. It's this, it's mind-numbingly funny. I watched it. I was like, all right, it was okay. But I wasn't like, oh, this is amazing. It was, it was like Woody Harrelson made that shit funny. It wasn't, you know, it was, you know, it wasn't fucking Jesse Eisenberg. He didn't make that shit funny. Harrelson made it funny. And like the situations made it funny. There you go. Zombieland was entertaining, but not hysterical. I haven't watched Warm Bodies yet because I feel it's a it's a it's a it's a romantic comedy wrapped in a zombie movie. My girl is fucking. Oh, we gotta watch Warm Bodies. Uh, nah, chill. Slick says it was funny. Slick has a pretty good funny bone, so he you know I I I, I would yeah see it was a romantic comedy. I just I just can't fucking do it. I can't do it. It was stupid funny. All right, fair enough. Anyway. Let me go through the rest of this, because otherwise we'll be fucking talking about old movies for forever. Uh, box office. Uh, Gravity, once again, number one. $44 million, brings its total to $123 million. Captain Phillips was number two. Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2 was number three. Machete Kills was number four. Runner Runner was number five. Prisoners was number six. Insidious Part 2 was number seven. Rush was number eight. Don John was number nine, and Baggage Claim was number ten. There you have it. Speaking of Don John in the box office, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is in the news this week also because he is narrow. He is one of the potential guys that they're looking at to play Ant-Man on the big screen, either him or Paul Rudd. Now, Joseph Gordon-Levitt has gone on record as saying that you know it's just rumors right now, and that he'd be willing to give it a shot, but um, he's he's not confirming it, but. Variety says that the studios are looking at Joseph Gordon-Levitt or Paul Rudd as Ant-Man. I'll be honest when I tell you, I'd like to see Paul Rudd. Is that wrong? Like, I think Paul Rudd has that inadvertently snarky demeanor about him. That kind of works. Like, I feel Ant-Man just being a douchebag. Like, not on a Tony Stark level, but on an I'm smarter than you level. And I'm going to use that to kind of get over. I think Paul Rudd would make that work in a way that Joseph Gordon... I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt is... He's a great actor, but Paul Rudd is more douchey. Exactly, Val. He's just a douchier guy. Like, you know Ant-Man. You know that he's a... He he beat up Wasp. You know, he was a... You know, he did spousal abuse. He he was just a douchebag as the comics went on. Like, I just see that. I doubt they're going to touch on that in the movies, but... You know, yeah, Napoleon complex, woman beater. But like Slick says, Ant-Man is boring as balls. Like, you got to do something crazy to make Ant-Man a believable character. I think in his case, you kind of want to go a little bit in the comedy route because that just looks more appropriate. I don't know if that's where I would, you know, what what Marvel wants to do, but I think that's where I would go with Ant-Man because you can't do like a serious, like a serious movie. You got to do something where it, it's it's a little it's a little comedic. It has a little bit of an edge to it that makes people go, "Oh, you know, that's pretty cool. It's something different." You know, yeah, the action looks good, but you can't you can't be too heavy-handed with a guy that talks to fucking bugs. Think about it. Think about just think about the concept. You can't be too heavy-handed with a guy that talks to fucking bugs. Oh, look, I talked to a cockroach. Hey, dude, can you get the fridge? No problem. Five cockroaches come up. 
fucking pick up the pick up his fridge, move it around and shit. Yeah, he talks to bugs with that with the thing he wears. Exactly. It's like Joe's apartment. Yep, and when he got bigger, he became Goliath. That is correct. And that's what I'm saying. Like, it's very weird the way that you want that you work with his character because like I said, you have this guy. He's, you know, he's a legit dude, but it's not it's not great, you know? It's not like, oh man, you know, Ant-Man is is awesome. Yeah, he he was Goliath and then he was Giant Man. That you're you're both right. He was both. But that's what I'm saying like like you have to be a little more lighthearted in the approach because he's just not a character that's heavy-handed. You can't do anything too crazy with his character. Again, that's just my opinion. Edgar, you know, Ed, you know, Ed Wright is going to do the best that he can with it, but you know, it's 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 weird. I just feel that to to create a movie based on this particular character is a misstep. Because yeah, you want to put it out there and you want to try and get him in the Avengers. That's great. But there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way than creating a solo film for a guy that shrinks and talks to bugs. And it's true, the relationship between Ant-Man and Wasp is just more interesting. It is. But you can do that relationship throughout an Avengers movie. Like, Tony Stark will be like, oh, you know, this is this is Hank Pym. He's a good dude. And, you know, all of a sudden he starts doing all this shit. But uh, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, I'm really not... I'm really not 100% on board with it. I mean, the movie is going into pre-production and it's scheduled to be released July 31st, 2015, which is going to be after the Avengers. So we're going to see what the casting is going to... I think the casting is going to really set the tone for the movie. If you go with a Joseph Gordon-Levitt, it's going to be a little more serious. If you go with a Paul Rudd, I think you can get away with a little comedy, a little douchiness. I think it'll just work better. Again, that's just my opinion, but... Obviously, if new if we get new developments, I will share them with you guys. Another unnecessary sequel that we talked about last week was Horrible Bosses 2. If you remember last week, I said that they were looking at Christoph Waltz and Chris Pine to play two bosses. They would be a father and son duo. Well, this week we got to find out that Chris Pine did accept a role in Horrible Bosses 2, but Christoph Waltz passed. Christoph Waltz definitely he passed on the film, but Chris Pine is going to be in it. Of course, Jason Bateman, Jason Sudeikis, Charlie Days, and Jamie Foxx will return. So Chris Pine will be in Horrible Bosses too. I found Horrible Bosses two to be amusing, but I just hate Jason Sudeikis. I fucking can't stand him. Everybody's like, oh, he's funny. You know what's funny? A mime getting hit by a bus. That's funny. Jason Sudeikis. Not funny. Not a funny guy. Jamie Foxx made horrible bosses funny. I, I, again, not slapstick, oh my God, funny, but it was amusing. I laughed. You know, Jennifer Aniston being being a hoe bag and being promiscuous, it was funny. It was ha-ha. It wasn't like ha-ha-ha-ha. <laughs> it was like, eh. You know? It was all right. It was okay. Funny, slapstick, eh. That's okay, Slick. Slick, you're entitled to like it, dude. I don't want you to to always agree. On the contrary, if you think that shit was the was the shit, that's that's more power to you. <laughs> Mortis talking shit on two Kansas City guys in ten minutes, not cool, Rich. Not cool. 
Dude, I'm sorry, but seriously, is Jason Sudeikis that funny? Please tell me what he has done that that makes you legitimately think that he's a funny motherfucker. Like Jason Bateman is that's a different guy. He's a he's a classic. And Charlie Day is eh. But seriously, somebody please tell me what makes Jason Sudeikis funny and don't tell me SNL. Cuz SNL is is a, is a fucking shit show. Some days it's funny, some days it's not. It's hit and miss every time you watch it. But seriously, Jason Sudeikis funny? Fuck out of here. Oh, you know what's funny? That he gets to fuck Olivia Wilde while most of us can't. That's it. Otherwise, Jason Sudeikis is fucking horseshit. I'm sorry. He's not funny. He's not. I, I really, I beg your indulgence. Please prove me wrong. Prove to me that Jason Sudeikis is funny. You know? Prove it to me. Because for me personally, no. All right. We got a new set of what the fuck movie news. Get this. Lance Armstrong biopic. Yeah. Lance Armstrong biopic. And Ben Foster will be playing Lance Armstrong. Ben Foster, who was in, what the fuck was the movie with him and the, the remake of uh, The Mechanic? He was in The Mechanic alongside Jason Statham. He will be playing Lance Armstrong. Exactly. See, Val says, do we get a scene with him doing roids? Here's the thing about Lance Armstrong. He has a tremendous story. Beats cancer, loses a nut, does the Tour de France, has sex with Sheryl Crow, does some roids, wins a whole bunch of other Tour de France titles, lives strong, roids, give me my medal back, that's it. Like, you know, like, here's the thing. Biopics are great. When the story is is engaging, like I liked, uh, like one of my favorite biopics is Malcolm X. One of my favorite biopics of all time is Malcolm X. Denzel Washington was amazing. Why he never got a fucking award for that movie is a travesty, and it bothers me to this day. That is a biopic that it was it was it was fantastic. It was great. And then you go down the line of different biopics and there's good ones and bad ones and good ones and bad ones, but they're biopics that have these amazing stories. I don't want to say that Lance Armstrong's story is not amazing. On the contrary, I think his story is amazing, but is it a story that deserves to be on the big screen? I don't think so. According to what they're saying, they want to follow his rise in the 90s through early 2000s, his battle with cancer, and his success with pro cycling. But again, his success with pro cycling was tinted, well, tinted, excuse me, tainted with um, drugs. You know? It's like, it's very difficult for me to sit here and say, I want to see a movie about Lance Armstrong. Like, I wanted to see the movie about Steve Jobs, and when I saw it, I was just saddened that it was that it was shit. Because you're 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 talking about all the a, a guy whose life is worth telling and you just can't do it. <laughs> Fucking Mortis writes in the chat, "Have you heard about Lance Armstrong's pen company?" 
And it's like crickets, crickets, crickets. Then all of a sudden, Uniball. Holy shit. <laughs> wow. I... Th- you- <sighs> all right. You've... Mortis, you've earned it. (laughs) There you go. Nice work, Mortis. Nice work. But seriously, biopics of all types, and you're going to tell Lance Armstrong's story. Number one, his life, he's not dead. He hasn't done anything super historic to to get a biopic. Like, I'm not saying that, you know, he doesn't deserve one, but, like, now? No. A, a, a biopic about Lance Armstrong is right up there with, oh, Hollywood's going to do a biopic about Kanye West and Jamie Foxx is going to play him. Like, no. No. I'm kidding, of course. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding before somebody thinks that's true. But I'm serious. Like, Ray. Ray was a great biopic. Ali was a great biopic. Malcolm X was a great biopic. You know what made those movies great? The stories about individuals who, who've had legendary lives. Legendary. Do you think Lance Armstrong has legitimately had a legendary life? A life of, of the ages? A life of the ages, do you think? Walk the Line. Thank you, Mortis. I totally forgot. Walk the Line. An amazing film. Do you think, for one second, that Johnny Cash's life is on par with Lance Armstrong. Do you think Muhammad Ali's life is on par with Lance Armstrong? I say no. I I, I can't. I can't in good conscience say to you, hey, I want to see a Lance Armstrong biopic. Just It just doesn't resonate. It doesn't jump out. Doesn't. Simple as that. All right. So... The next, I got two last bits of entertainment news to wrap things up. And um, this particular one is about a film that I haven't talked about in years. Years. And this movie is getting re-released in theaters because of of a collector's edition combo pack that's going to be released. It's restored from the ground up. Now, it's a horror movie, which is fitting because it's, you know, Halloween's around the corner. And that film is Maniac Cop 2. Matt Cordell, Maniac Cop 2 had Robert Davi. And it's going to be released as a collector's edition Blu-ray with a 4K transfer. It's getting Adobe Digital 5.1 mix. And it's going to be released in theaters. Now, on November 19th, they're going to release Maniac Cop 2 and 3 collector's edition combo packs which will include, obviously, 1080p resolution remastered footage, upgraded DTS HD master audio, loads of extras, and deleted scenes. Now, my issue with this is, why Maniac Cop 2 and 3 as a collector's edition and not Maniac Cop 1? Maniac Cop 1 was tremendous with Matt Cordell. Oh, it was great. He'd have the baton and he'd twirl it and he'd pull out the fucking knife and kill criminals. It was it was so awesome, just a psycho cop killing people left and right. Don't get me wrong. I like Maniac Cop 2. I thought Robert Davi was good in it. But you're going to release the second film in theaters due to the, you know, the digital, re- the, the Blu-ray release of the second and the third movie? 
it doesn't make any sense, but it seems that they are going to be releasing it in theaters, and I will make sure to put a link in the show notes if you guys are interested in seeing Maniac Cop 2 on the big screen. So we're going to get into some small screen news. We all know that Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is currently doing pretty well on ABC. Uh, some people really enjoy it. Other people are kind of mixed on it. I am in that minority, not literally and figuratively. I feel that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is fu- is good. It's not great. It's all right, but it could be better. I feel that they reference the they rely on the Avengers way too much. Like, oh, that incident in New York. Oh, the Avengers. Oh, Thor. Oh, Captain America. Like, constant, constant, constant. It's like, yes, we get it. We get it. And, you know, throwing Samuel L. Jackson in there, he probably made like a million dollars to come to, to show up in one scene and yell at Coulson. But I just feel something's missing. I don't think, number one, I don't think that the lead, the lead agent can carry that fucking show. He's as one-dimensional as fuck. And I can't stand Fitz and Simmons. I can't fucking stand them. I can't. I understand their comic relief, but fuck you when they're on the screen. Can't do it. Meanwhile, Coulson is awesome. Coulson is awesome as usual. But here's the problem. You know, the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. has... You know, the S.H.I.E.L.D. series has tremendous potential. But I think that they they need to start... You need to start throwing in some kind of heroes. I'm sorry, but it, it needs to happen. It needs to happen. Yeah, the blacklist is fantastic, Jay Santi. I agree. Um, you need to have some other heroes in there. Like, I understand you want to have S.H.I.E.L.D. and all this stuff, but you got to throw, like, like at least give me some obscure guys, like the Shocker, you know, like, like villains, or the Wrecking Crew, or um, the Beetle. Like, like shit like that. Give me guys like Speed Demon. The characters that you could kind of throw in there, one-offs, that you don't have to worry about too much. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, I referenced a lot of Spider-Man villains, but I'm just throwing out guys like, like that, you know? Tarantula. Or, um... Not Crossbones, because he's going to be in Captain America, but you could throw, like, AIM in there. And, and characters like that, that, you know, kind of just... Oh, I know those guys. But it's like you threw in that one guy and then you mentioned extremist. Oh, all right, extremist from Iron Man. Great. Then dead. Then you create a villain in that one episode and it, you kind of just leave it alone for now. I'm sure it's going to come back, but you mean to tell me that there's not enough guys in the Marvel universe that you can't pluck a couple of guys out and throw them in the show so people can go, "Oh, all right, that's kind of cool." Nope. And I think that that's a that that's going to be the, the the crutch for that show. If you don't throw in one or two heroes or some some heroic subplots in there, you're going to start losing people. The Joss Whedon novelty is going to wear off. It is. Everybody's all like, "Yeah, Joss and and look, Nick Fury and great." But then it's like, "All right, now what?" Like I said, Coulson, awesome. Um. Ming-Na Wen as, as Melinda May, awesome. That lead guy, the agent dude, bullshit that guy. I don't know, he's, he's like a bootleg Michael Weston. I'm like, yo, you don't have any screen presence whatsoever. Nothing. Like, I see you on screen and I don't think, oh, you know, this guy's a badass. Nope. I just think, meh, suit guy. Hopefully, hopefully S.H.I.E.L.D. proves me wrong, but thus far, 
I haven't been as enamored as the rest of my fellow geek brethren. Maybe I'm looking at it the wrong way, but it just it just doesn't resonate the same way. Like, honestly, if I took S.H.I.E.L.D. and Arrow, Arrow is a better show. Arrow grabs certain DC villains like, like Arrow used Deadshot, a Batman villain. Sure, Deadshot is a Batman villain, but you threw, you threw him in there. You know, subtly, but, but Deadshot got some screen time. And that's what I'm saying. Like, you gotta take some of these characters that are more... Uh, Arrow got Deathstroke also, thank you for, for that reminder, Val, but that's what I'm saying. Like, you can throw these guys in there subtly. And you can do the same with S.H.I.E.L.D. I don't understand what the fucking issue is. But, going back to what I was saying, it looks like Marvel is looking to do other shows, including a show based on Agent Carter from Captain America... And they're also looking to do a bunch of other shows as well. According to what they're saying, they're shopping around a 60-episode package to cable networks and video-on-demand distributors. It looks like they're, they're going to include four dramas and a miniseries, though the details as of right now are top secret. You know what I'd like to see on, on television? Heroes for Hire with Luke Cage and, um, and Iron Fist. Heroes for Hire would be a great show on television. Because you could do different stories with different heroes that are like saving lives and stuff. And you can really focus on those smaller heroes that you don't want to invest to bring to the big screen. The Punisher on HBO would be tremendous. I'd love a Punisher TV series on HBO. You could do... Like if you've seen Strike Back, I talk about Strike Back on, on Cinemax. But that show has a lot of violence, some decent storytelling, good actors, and of course nudity. The Punisher, you could do that on cable. You could do that on HBO and Showtime or even Stars. That's what I mean. I'd do Heroes for Hire. I'd do The Punisher. Fuck, I'd even do Daredevil. I'd do Daredevil on the small screen, make it one part legal drama, one part superhero, throw in a couple of other characters here or there, here and there, and, and it would work. It would definitely work. But you know what Marvel's doing? Like Agent Carter. Agent Carter's character was cool. Was she an awesome character? No. But she was alright. You know, she was a cool character. Does she need her own show? No. Sorry, but I disagree. Alright. Well, with that, that's actually going to wrap up this week's entertainment segment, as well as this week's show. So let's take it home. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 202 for Thursday, October 17th, 2013. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, at mytakeradio, add us on Facebook, and also add us to your circles on Google+. You can also find My Take Radio on Pinterest and on Instagram, mytakeradio underscore rich on Instagram. I share a lot of food pictures. 90 seconds. There goes the English lady yelling in my ear. I share a lot of food pictures and a lot of bullshit, but if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's mytakeradio underscore rich. Last but not least, you can get the full mytakeradio experience on our Android, iOS, or Windows mobile apps. For Android, you can pick it up in the Amazon Marketplace. For iOS, you can get it from iTunes, and from Windows, you can get it for the Windows Marketplace. Of course, archived episodes can be found on Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, iTunes. seconds. All right, English lady. Stitcher, Zune Marketplace, TuneIn Radio, and of course, reruns of the show on video can be watched on the GFQ Network. GFQ, 
live.tv is your destination for that. You can also catch the reruns on the GFQ player, which is on mtrlive.com. All right. On behalf of myself, Slick, and the rest of the MTR family, I will catch you guys probably not next week, but the week after. Obviously, if the schedule changes, I will let you guys know. I'm waiting for this English lady to yell in my ear that there's 60 seconds left. Anyway, taking us out this week, since it had its season premiere this past Sunday, Artificial Fears Interpretation of The Walking Dead. Thank you guys again for tuning in. Ten seconds. We got it. Ten seconds. Shut your face. All right. Artificial Fears, The Walking Dead will take us out. Peace.